close shot the blind stone eyes of Lawrence's bust in a chapel of St. Paul's Cathedral on soundtrack the organ. A man, in very correct civilian clothes, holding his bowler hat, adjusts the central wreath, which has fallen askew. He does this not reverently, but neatly, severely, and then without a backward glance, leaves the chapel past two soldiers in blues who keep vigil there. Like, it just goes on like Damn. this. Damn. It is one of the longest screenplays I've ever seen. Um, downright literary. Well, but evidently, because yeah. of the uh, airy structure of the whole movie, when they tried to edit the movie down to, like, something they could put on TV, the movie makes absolutely no sense. Because I guess, uh, evidently, uh, our mom has seen both versions, and she said when she saw the short version, she had no idea what was going on. So, at the outset, I have a half-gripe, half-question about that. Has anyone ever recommended the short version of something? Idiots. It seems like the long version of literally everything is always... I have a really kind of great, but not great example, because I like the long version too, but there is an bridged audiobook of Catch-22 where uh, Arkin does the narrating. Um, and if you don't want to get through the entire book of Catch-22, which you should want to because it's excellent, um, that is actually it's a one good... one way to go. It's a, it's a fun way to get what you need out of Catch-22 without the full commitment. Yeah, that's so, my only example. No, James Mason reads the uh, uh, an abridged version of Lolita. That's I haven't listened to that one. Fucking incredibly good. It's <laughs> really good. He does this thing. Um, There's this great sequence where he's doing one of these like the um, the Hayes woman routines in the book, and he fucking like just starts laughing. Like, un- oh god, it's really great. It's really great. The fucking also the contempt he displays for that woman. Also, when um when Apocalypse now tried to do the reverse. Ver- of this where like they released whatever the shorter version is, which is the part everyone knows. And then they were like, wait a minute, this movie was supposed to be four hours long. Let's add all the extra footage we cut out. None of that footage helped. It just made the movie longer. Oh, okay. I also sat through that at the Enzion, which was like a four hour excursion. And uh, that wasn't worth it. It, the the additional footage did not add anything to the version of that movie that everybody watches. Yeah, I mean that's that's the weird thing too is that like sometimes when you get these like um, the theatrical release sometimes is the better version, right? Like director's cuts a lot of times are a little too ex- you know not just extraneous but like indulgent. Yeah, and, but a lot of times it's just extraneous. Well, that's the thing. It doesn't like you know it isn't like adding any any additional scenes um you know to the film that allow like that allow like world building or you know that that you know convey that like aesthetic desire to like want to stay in the film right and that was what the problem was was that like you know with apocalypse now redux right the scenes that are added extend scenes already or already long and they add and like then, stories then, that weren't in there in the first yeah, place and then add like two whole main sections that are rather just that that feel out of place, not merely because it isn't what you originally experienced, but like tonally shift the film completely. Yeah, out yeah. of that, and that's what we're. That's what the weird thing is that like a lot of time theatrical releases tend to like understand, you know, like like a symphony, right? Like the various movements that movies should be timed by, and director's cuts will usually break up that 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 the tightness a lot of times of the of the pacing of of a story as well, and it just shits it out because. I guess, like you know, from a from a wider standpoint, the theatrical release 
um, is is this you know compromise between the th- between the studio and the and the and, and the, the director's director. vision? Yeah, yeah, and I think that a lot of times you know like this like let's be frank here. Sometimes the studios do know and are and are made of p- people who make it their business to know how to make profitable, engaging movies. Yeah. I mean, doesn't mean they're great at it. Doesn't mean every movie they make is awesome, but you know, like I would give it, given a given talented studio executives and a talented director. I think that there can be a fruitful fucking collaboration from this because cinema is, is an inherently collaborative filmmaking, right? Like it takes a lot of people sculpting by committee, painting by committee, not likely to produce <laughs> produce ex- dramatic masterpieces or results, but cinema, you know, because of that, I think works well too. Those relationships can be formed. Everybody, welcome to the Machination Log. I don't want to break the thread here because I want to talk about this out the gate. We're talking about Lawrence of Arabia. Right. Uh, we've got Ryan and Nicole in the yeah, room. Yeah. Um, I think part of the reason, based on what I read of what they excise yeah. from the even longer versions <laughs> of Lawrence of Arabia, I mean, the, the current, the Blu-ray version, the canon version at this point in <laughs> history is 222 minutes long. Yep. And when I was reading through some of the things that were cut out, they are the scenes when Lawrence is not on the screen. Mm-hmm. And that makes a lot of sense because if you're going to abridge scenes in this film... Um, it should be the ones that aren't about the character who the film's named after. Like, right. for example, when they're talking to, uh, when the Chicago journalist is talking to Pr- Prince Faisal, yeah. as much as I enjoy Alec Guinness in brownface in this film, <laughs> and mind you, for as problematic as that role may now be in retrospect, did a, he did a great job. fantastic job yeah, in that absolutely. role. Um, he's not the point of the film. He's not what the film's about. Mm-hmm. So it, it's okay to let some of that go, you know. You can you can let him ham it up in the other eighteen thousand movies he was in. Although, you know, he'll be known forever as Obi Wan Kenobi, which to date is the worst thing I've seen him in. Yeah. So well, he was just dialing it in at that point. That was just a paycheck for him. Look, I'm upset for him as well. Like he was mad. <laughs> he was mad at how successful Star Wars was. And Everyone I get, was. I get it. I am yeah. wearing a. Vintage Star Wars shirt right now. I think he, he called that a dirty little role or something like that. He <laughs> yeah. had like a real de- real demeaning sense well, of this whole thing. He, he was just character acting yeah. in mm-hmm. that film. And like I'm not I'm not shitting on a new hope. I actually like a new hope quite a bit, but it's not his best work by a long <laughs> shot. Um but It's no Prince Faisal. No, absolutely not. Um, but how do we get there? So Lawrence of Arabia is a movie we've hinted at doing a bunch of times, right? Uh, as any movie podcast probably would, because at some point you got to hit Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, it's one of those movies that you know its reputation precedes it, and it's one of those rare movies where its reputation is clearly well earned, right? Like it does not disappoint in what its purport what what its reputation purports it to be. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that it is explicitly revelatory, but I also think that it's unfair to assume it would have been because mm-hmm. in the same way that a lot of groundbreaking like I can see why this film if I was in the 60s yeah walked into a theater and saw this would be absolutely blown away by it because I mean even today imagining trying to get a lot of those scenes in the dunes of Morocco and partially in Spain when <laughs> budget and illness came into the picture um there's there is so much 
just elbow grease involved in putting this film together. And it's, it's just immediately apparent. Mm-hmm. Um, but above and beyond that, it's, it, it's a very well-constructed film. It's too slow for modern times, but mm-hmm. that's because modern times are what they are. And that can be forgiven. Yeah. And it doesn't take that much perspective. I, the, the reason I'm putting all these hedges and like qualifications in is that this, this movie is worth even a modern go-getter's time. Like the internet has ruined the capacity to make movies like this. Um, but this movie is still watchable. This is yeah. not Lenny Bruce. This is George <laughs> Carlin. And um, it, it's too where – all right, so you know if you if you are not someone who who, who seeks out long movies, uh, this is a good movie to see, right? Because I think that uh, uh, and this is not like long as you would find it in in modern movies that are made long, um, you know, so like Lars von Trier movies or something like that. Like these things are like you know two and a half plus hours. Well, also, and the thing isn't particularly like dense, so no, it, so you could kind of like float through it. Like it's not like. You don't have to like trudge through it. Like, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not overly story heavy. Yeah. The plot is not over, is not, is not, the plot is not epic. It's right? not it over, not like, like for s- as long of a script is, as it is, mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, it's mostly like atmosphere and, and visual storytelling it's and less dialogue. Yeah, yeah. And like dialogue is not, uh, super heavy, especially considering that it's a military strategy slash political film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and the the fact that it's study I mean, it, it it gets our de facto gold star for basically not having a plot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like it's the movie crew approval, our rubber stamp. It, the, this movie, uh, most of what makes long movies hard to watch is that they are exhausting. The, yeah. It's the same reason why I mean, TV shows have to hit a certain point of intrigue for them to be watchable. Right. And the way they do that is by brute forcing so much plot in, in different avenues mm-hmm. that you can just pick the ones you like and sort of tune out the ones you don't. Um, but most movies that are very, very long fail to do this now. And the movie that immediately comes to mind is every Marvel movie I've ever seen. Right. They're all too long. They're all too long. And you have to pay attention. Mm-hmm. You can you can lose, and I, I did this on the my first watch through Lawrence of Arabia many many years ago. You can see, um, you you can miss half an hour of that film, and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll you'll survive because you don't need to know any specific plot point. It's flowing through Lawrence's life, and Lawrence has a very loose life. Yeah. Well, and and let's 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 kind of drop two here that like the the pacing and editing is very deft. It is this this film has a light touch to it, right? And mm-hmm. um you know, when you are um the way that this movie is long and yet doesn't feel so long is that essentially it is about 5 45 minute movies kind of pop together here, right? There's like very specific like parts. About that, five little journeys, yep. really. And in, out, in, out, you know, in yeah. and around to, to Damascus, you know, yeah. and we're, you know, you're, you're clipped along these things and, you know, the, the goals of each, of each little mini plot device, you know, are, are allowed to kind of produce, but there isn't a lot of explanation of like all the connecting points leading to each point, right? In a Marvel film, there's so much goddamn talking because yeah. like they, they need to exposition every almost every change of scenery for this big purpose for why we have to move from this room to another room somewhere else and this film has its motivations and its plot points are very loose very very and we get to them yeah like we get to them by camel yeah by exactly (laughs) and so there has to be a lot of time in which to develop 
And then secondly, what happens really well with this is that, um, and where a lot of Marvel Marvel movies feel long, is that this movie does what a lot of great cinema does, which is it shows but does not tell. Yeah. And Marvel tells but rarely shows because they've that's what that's what the characters yammer on about. They're always telling you what the fuck is going on and why it's important and what the stakes are and you know, then just put someone objecting because of, you know, character development and scare quotes. Well, and the moral dilemmas in Marvel movies tend to be conversational and plot driven. Whereas in Lawrence of Arabia, no one's changing allegiances in Lawrence of Arabia. The only actually like, and this should lead to one dimensional characters in this film. And I think in a couple of cases, maybe it does, but for the title character, Lawrence is conflicted, but he's conflicted in a very natural way. Mm-hmm. He encounters those conflicts and he resolves them as he is wont to do at any given time. It's not like he's running into he's he's running into these dilemmas at the speed. Uh, I wanted to say quicksand, but that feels on the nose because it's used in the film <laughs> itself, and there's so much goddamn sand in this film. Um, <laughs> but but it's it's that he doesn't. He has very few. There are a handful of turning points, but even those turning points are slow. Mm-hmm. Like there's uh, the, a couple of the uh, the one that's immediately coming to mind is when he shoots Gassim. Gassim, mm-hmm. yeah. That scene is five minutes long. Mm-hmm. It is. It takes a long, long while to play out, even after the twist yeah. occurs. Well, and I thought it, when we saw, okay, so uh, dear listeners, we saw this in the theater at the Enzion, right, the, on the big screen, yeah. and there was there was apparently a sizable amount of people who had never seen this movie attending this. Um, they always ask, and when we see these classic films, they always say, "Raise your hand who yeah. haven't seen this." There was audible gasps when Kasim is revealed to be, the, you know, <laughs> the person he saved in the first, uh, the first act of the film becomes the person he must execute to accomplish his goal in the second act of the film. You know, there were gasps. People were like, "Holy shit!" You know, like it's, um, and you know, having that, having that revealed in the, in that manner, right, in that slow way in which the tension and drama of the scene is built around what must be done and then revealed who it must be done to is yeah. also well I mean it's it's just like it's it's the film has both great grand and great vision and executes it, it well. well and then in each scene and especially each each major scene they are they are exceptionally well thought out like when we do have the talky between the characters to move the plot forward the reason Alec Guinness is so well is so is so fun of a character is because Faisal is a fucking crafty some bitch and in fact might be one of the smartest fucking characters in the film but he is crafty son of a bitch and it's fucking great to just watch him and he doesn't king give around. his hand away yeah, like he's, like he he's, just kings around yeah and it's fucking awesome. It's like one of the best. Yeah, parts. Well, he just he brings this air where it's like, yeah, he's the king. Like he knows more than's going on than everybody, mm-hmm. and he places cards really close to his chest, and and acts like he's not paying attention pretty yeah. much all the time. Yeah. Well, and okay, so in the first time, because Lawrence is sent in the in the desert to find. Faisal. I guess yeah, we can kind of we can kind of open this up. Okay. So, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah we're sorry, we're, yeah, in, okay, we're okay. in World War One. Yep. Lawrence is a uh, officer in the uh, British Army. First stationed they, in Egypt and Cairo. Yeah, they're in Egypt and Cairo, and they are fighting the Turks. Yep. 
Um, and Lawrence is set out to go talk to some uh, nomadic Arabs mm-hmm. uh, who are under fire by the Turks. Absolutely. And that's kind of how our journey begins. Yeah. yeah. And it starts out with them performing a minor function on the staff of, a, <laughs> of a general. Painting maps and shit, like, in the basement. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I want to get ahead of the plot here a little bit, too, but... Um, so just to, just to, one of the, one of the ways these little great scenes, cause there's a couple little great small scenes that we can get into, but to bring, yeah, to bring, yeah, to bring yeah. the Faisal thing back, one of the, 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 the little geniuses of this film is that he, um, t- uh, Lawrence is, uh, put into this meeting, uh, um, with another British advisor who he sent, who's apparently outranks him and meets with Faisal and they're having, you know, yeah, they're having, yeah, Colonel Brighton. And they're having this basically disagreement for what stage should be done next, right? Should you modernize and become a regular part of, of like a regular army? Um, or is there another option available, right? Do we do this? The in Faisal kind of represents this traditional way of fighting that he's trying we, and failing to because implement. Because an important part of uh, working up to this scene is that when the Turks mm-hmm. uh, attack by air, Faisal's... Um, I guess, what are these tribes, essentially? His, his tribes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're trying to fight airplanes with swords. Yeah. So there is some discrepancy in uh, technology and how they should best go about fighting this war. And, you know, Lawrence is basically told to shut up and listen and report back. Yeah. But when he's in the tent, he can't but help himself in not ingratiating himself to Faisal, but in in trying to express something that he feels a connection with the, with this culture and these people. And the way that Faisal and Guinness play the scene is that as the as the the rift between the uh, Brighton, the established uh, the military man, and Lawrence, the you know dreamy artist, as this like rift appears between them, Faisal completely downplays that like like almost uh, excusing Lawrence for making like a, a social faux pas and and expressing this and saying yeah. you know oh it's it's nothing you know like I'm not you know like I'm not offended even though no one insinuated that he should be and then coyly kind of just elbows everybody out of the tent as Lawrence hangs back and then has this in private discussion with him and he there kind of like plants a seed to Faisal absolutely where but it's like strategy but it's just so like. In, in, in the scope of the scene, watching it, you're you're revealed to why it happens, but in a weird way, Faisal ends up manipulating the viewer just as much as anyone else in the tent with him at that time. And those those little touches that are that are in the in the screenplay that are written in and then also brilliantly acted is one of just the many marks of quality throughout this film. I mean it just like it just keeps building on from there. I'm which for I'm, a second time we should start at the beginning of so we don't get too far ahead. Yeah, so, so yeah, it, so we just ended the first act, but let's go what, back. Yeah. Let's <laughs> uh yeah. More to come uh in just a minute. But uh this movie start it, I don't I don't want to take up any time with the actual starting thing, the motorcycle and the the church oh, and that stuff. No, I was I just I was just saying we can kind of like loosely work through the story is, just to pick up certain points we want to touch on. Well, I'm just saying. I mean, yeah. Do either of you have anything to say about the establishing no. shots? Because I don't. Uh, yeah. I don't think they're terribly remarkable in the grand scheme of things. Well, I love the top down shot of him getting his motorcycle ready, but the significance of those scenes yeah, is relatively rote. Only in only also maybe in the first couple scenes is establishing the the the, the question that is repeated yeah. throughout this which is who who which the is, fuck who is, is Lawrence? Yeah. Like, who like, is he? He is a very enigmatic yeah. uh, 
And the first glimpses we get of him is that, like, in this basement in Egypt, who is he? Yeah. Um, he's kind of a, he's a fucking weird dandy is who he is, he, right? Yeah, he's, yeah. he's yeah, got so the, the, a, kind of a, an effeminate air to him, and it makes other people uncomfortable. Like, they respect him because they know he's well-educated, but his, you know, his manner does bother people. Yeah, I mean, the first the first scene where he is actually really on screen, uh, as Ryan alluded to, he's sitting... Uh, lazily copying a map yep. into a larger map uh, with a paintbrush, mm-hmm. making snide remarks to his clearly less intelligent uh, workmates. Michael George Hartley, this is a nasty, dark little room. That's right. We are not happy in it. I am. It's better than a nasty, dark little trench. And you're a big, noble fellow. That's right. Getting mail, getting the newspaper, being annoyed that no one gives a shit about what's going on outside of the base, mm-hmm. which is a permanent theme for the Brits in this film. Uh, f- the 60s was late enough for there to actually be kind of a social conscience going around, so it's not. I assume it wasn't terribly revelatory for this film to sort of take the Arabs' quote-unquote side in <laughs> most of this stuff. But the, the army base, you get two impressions, and it's funny because the movie tries to play like there's this incredible contrast between Lawrence in the first army base 15 minutes and the base establishment itself. But if you actually attempt to step back and like assess how these people are taking the war, no one is taking it seriously. No. Lawrence is doing it on a microcosmic scale by having long hair Wearing whatever he wants, wherever he goes, uh, throwing pool balls around and not saluting at his officers. But the people in this place, they're all in the mess hall. They're all playing games all day. No one is fighting. The, this, no one is preparing like this, for yeah, anything. Yeah, this, this consulate <laughs> that they're staying at is very extra. I mean, this is like five-star accommodation. Yeah, it's, like, it's like a commandeered palace. Yeah. It's fucking absurd. It's it, <laughs> It looks absurd. Yeah. Like it's it actually looks absurd mm-hmm. in how opulent it is. Every yeah. room in this place is at least twenty feet on a side. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like it's like Biltmore Estate Palatial, yeah. like in terms of like it's like height and grandeur. Immaculately and, mosaic'd. Yeah. There's just oh, all yeah. kinds of fun stuff. And there's just officers everywhere milling about doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. They look sharp though. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's what counts. And uh, <laughs> so but Lawrence, Lawrence is constantly uh, derided for being the snowflake that he is and eventually gets sent on a mission. Uh, he meets with the general and Mr. Dryden, mm-hmm. Mr. Yes. Dryden, uh, who is... He's the curious ambassador. He, he's just the diplomat. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Par excellence. Yeah. Wears a suit, doesn't gesticulate, just looks. He, al- he, he communicates everything with his eyes. Yep. Good old Claude Rains, great actor. Yeah, fucking Claude Rains is one of my favorite um, from that classic Hollywood period as well. He plays the main French um, uh, p- police officer in Casablanca, who's Rick's partner slash foil throughout the film as well. He's fucking brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, he's, in, he's that. in a handful of Hitchcock's films. Yes, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, enough. Oh yeah, he he comes through. He's brilliant. He's yeah. great. Watch everything he's in. You fucking savages. <laughs> it's fucking great. But yeah, I mean the. They set him up on a mission. Yeah. They give him a mission. Because um, he actually kind of wants something to do because he likes the area. Like he's. 
I mean, <laughs> let's just be frank here. You get because the first general he meets, I guess he meets Allenby is the second general yep. that takes over. So the first general is this like by the book kind of numbers, clearly unimaginative kind of you know kind of a prick and a stickler general for detail. Murray. Yeah. Murray stickler for details, and that's not Lawrence's style. No, and you're essentially like. You know, like they apparently just want to like get rid of him for a couple. Well, that's months what I mean. Almost. Like I said, his his <laughs> manner irritates people. So, like, yeah, just send him out because he bugs everyone here. Yeah, and he's the only person who actually gives a shit. Yeah, about and the he's actually and yeah. he's actually like interested in the area. So there is basically one comment made in the entire first fifteen minutes of this that has any military significance, and it is that General Murray can't get artillery. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. it. That's the only. <laughs> that's literally the only thing. Yeah. That's bothering any of them. You had one job, bro. You had, you had one job. Just <laughs> to get artillery. <laughs> I got all these officers. We got nothing to shoot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they go, so Dryden and uh, Murray get into intense negotiations about what they're going to do with mm-hmm. Lawrence. And that leads to what is probably my favorite jump cut. Yes. In, his, in film history. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I mean, the, the 2001 one is... Is also pretty good. No, it's okay because uh, like this movie most likely because two thousand one was like a couple years after. Sixty eight. This was this this movie inspired what Kubrick did in two thousand one. This one's like oh every everything yeah. in this movie was stolen. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, rumor has yeah. Like, no, this was a heavy influence on Kubrick, and you can on you can tell Spielberg. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like everybody watched this. Rumor had uh, Kubrick apparently um, watched this movie once a week for like two years or something. That sounds like, like something yeah, yeah, it was fucking like yeah. some obsessive fucking yeah. study of this film as well. Um, but like you said, the, the but it's it, going to be fun. Yes, <laughs> it's going to be fun. And then and, he blows out uh, the match. Yep. And it goes, and it's it's weird because it doesn't. What made this is this is directed by David Lean. Yeah. Um. And this is the kind of scene that I mean, for one thing, this this is part of the reason why you can't make a movie like this anymore. A cut like this doesn't really work anymore. <laughs> There's something about the brazenness of it. It would feel like you were trying to be artsy. Okay. Whereas in this. In the way that it is just a, it's a flat shot of O'Toole blowing out a match. It's just perfectly in line. It's all in focus. He doesn't, it, it's not perfectly timed, mm-hmm. which is part of what makes it work because the match is extinguished before the scene changes. Yes. Mm-hmm. But if it did it simultaneously, which is how it would be done, and I'm not shitting on them. I love the Coen brothers, but that's how they would have done it. Right. Yeah. Um, that's how, uh, I forget which, it's another David did, um, The Wire. Because The Wire's full of these artsy little cuts. Yep. Miller's Crossing has some good ones for yeah, the Coen Brothers. Brothers. Yeah. But they're, they're clever. Yeah. They're cle- this one, I don't, it's not clever. It's just dramatic. Yes. The, the, the match goes out and then you get a dark, but somehow incredibly bright yep. red sky, which mm-hmm. is only possible in the desert. Yes. Um, and that opens to the landscape of Lawrence of Arabia for mm-hmm. the next three and a half hours. Yes. Yeah. Our introduction to the setting of this fucking epic, right? Yes. Like, and I. Oh, oh, I guess the other thing that it would potentially be is you just open it on the desert because this shot, mm-hmm. this this jump cut to this shot of the sunrise, um, is on its own. Mm-hmm. Lawrence is not in the shot. No. It just happens for 15 seconds, and then it switches to Lawrence. The music comes back mm-hmm. in, and the rest of it. This is just the sigh. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's awesome. Well, it's it's one of those you know um, you know motifs in a lot of films where like you know the setting becomes its own character within the story as well. Well, and that's kind of what I wanted to start covering. Yeah, with go for the, it. Yeah. In the direct, actually, just generally in like the movie direction we were going to go for the November is is kind of like having the setting taking on kind of a, its own personality. So this is. Yeah, I've been wanting to like do a couple films that yeah, days of, yeah, this. days of heaven yeah will definitely help us out yeah, with that too. So. And the of course you know being in the desert right like the first our first exposure to it is not the sands it's not the sky no it is the sun and as you go through the film there are these several points where you know like being in the desert underneath the sun is fucking treacherous dangerous and is an essential component yeah well where the, the sun of the is danger is drama. important yeah. at all points of the day <laughs> in the desert because it dictates where you're going what you can do mm-hmm. how long you can travel how much you can travel mm-hmm. and so um as you know um lawrence is heading off into the desert right he is on his way to see Pri- prince faisal in the scene I yeah mentioned he, has, before. he has a guide with yep, him so we know where he's ending up he's got a guide with him we don't the guide is someone that he begins with as chummy. Um, the guide it, uh, looks um, is seems in part in awe of Lawrence to a certain degree, right? Like uh, his mannerisms, the culture, uh, uh, and um, is he given a name in the film? I think to Lawrence as well. Uh, sure. Oops. And um, but you know, Lawrence is very uh, uh, tries to ingratiate himself with him. Very kind. Um, gives him his fucking officer's pistol. Yeah, gives, he gives him, him his, his pistol. Webley. Yeah, Toffus is Toffus. his name. And um, his Bedouin guide. Yeah, his Bedouin guide. And, uh, you know, this they're rolling through the desert, right? They've got their own issues. And it really leads us uh, to the scene where they stop for water at a well. Um, and then we get the introduction of uh, really the second main character of the film, um, you know, uh, and, and Lawrence's main companion. Uh, through a lot of what will come. Yeah, uh, Sharif, Sharif Ali. Sharif, Sharif Ali, Ali. Uh, played yes. bar by, uh, by Omar Sharif. Yes. Um, a very famous actor. And um, the only person of Arabic descent um, <laughs> the main characters in the film. <laughs> yes. Look, they got that one right. Yeah. And, you know, his appearance is another one of those real well, famous. Well, him getting out of Egypt played a big role in him finally being able to make films. Yes. So he, I guess he finally got a visa to leave Egypt and not come back so that he could do this. And he's in other, fa- you know. Uh, oh, Dr. Zhivago. Dr. Zhivago, yeah, as well. And oh. he'll, so he'll go on to play many, you know, real famous roles in this. And. Um, you know, an actor of, of talent and and, and uh, charisma in the film as well. I like I like him in this movie a lot. I like I like the character of Omar Sharif a lot as well. But do we want to um, do we talk about the well scene or any, or anything leading up to the the tent scene that I already introduced? Or the or beginning there? of it is the amateurish go around. Mm-hmm. Both both characters seem. I mean, the the better and toughest. Himself, he doesn't seem terribly experienced himself. Right. It seems to just be it's it's a crew of amateurs. Um, he might even mistake the fact that he's got Lawrence with them to give him a little bit of cover. As some sort of safeguard. Yeah. Some, yeah. 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 So they're. I mean, they're not. They're not like. It, it's not like full of mishaps or anything. But Lawrence's first trip, it's it's just him trying to be tough guy yep. in the <laughs> middle of the desert because he's got. If he's not going to make it on the first day, he's not going to make it yeah. in the first month. So he's got to keep up appearances. But he ends up keeping up appearances for not. Yep. Um, by the time we get to the well. Yep. Um, and the reason why we didn't know Tafis's name is because um, he gets. Shot and um, yep. in a great little scene where like a speck on the horizon slowly comes <laughs> in and comes in and comes in and comes in until all of a sudden shit somebody found us. Yeah, yeah. it's one of these brilliant little scenes too, where you know he and uh, uh, he and the, his Bedouin guide are interacting with each other, 
And the, the, the first inclination that we have that anything's wrong is revealed not visually, but through sound. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so Lawrence is sitting down resting, and what we hear is the, um, like, you know, the, the goat skin fall into the well. We hear the big splash of this, and Lawrence look, reacts to it as if something weird would be going on. And all we see is this Bedu guy just frozen, right? Mm-hmm. Like staring off into the horizon. And then we get a shot of the horizon and... And see nothing. Yeah, nothing. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. almost, and it's, it's like a, just a speck. Yeah, you yourself have to work to make it out. Yeah. And you you see not the speck, but then like the weird dust trail. That's tra- <laughs> It's fucking really well done. And it allows oh, us it, to make it or make our own... To make our own sense of this. And I think that that's partly what is... Once again, shown but well, not it's told. Like, yeah, and it's like this, like slow building of of tension in the way that they build tension in mm-hmm. this is like through these like long shots of things like slowly, slowly getting closer. Absolutely, <laughs> it, it brings it brings in Ryan your your favorite war quote. Mm-hmm. Um, war is interminable periods of boredom yes. between yeah. and this the, <laughs> moments the, of absolute fucking terror. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah and that's that's you know you spend. You literally in movie time, let alone in actual lapse time, you spend 35 seconds probably mm-hmm. waiting for this figure to come up, and then there's a gunfight yeah. that's over in yeah. one second. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there, there is actually one scene with Toffus that I uh, I forgot to bring up, and that's actually credit to the movie because the point of this scene is to be invisible, but to prime you for scenes like this where you're mm-hmm. looking on the horizon. Because when Ali is on the horizon, you the first time it shows it, I believe he's not actually visible. Okay. I think okay. it is the second time, but you're primed for this mm-hmm. because in a previous scene, Toffus tells, I keep wanting to say O'Toole, tells Lawrence <laughs> to go down because someone is down in a valley. And in that scene, mm-hmm. Lawrence is looking around and also can't, can't see, see who he's yeah. looking yeah. at. Has to put on binoculars just to see who the hell Toffus is talking about. Right. Yeah. And that scene, it just sort of passes by. It's, you know, a threat in the desert. But the more important thing that it does is that it primes you to yes. understand that you can't see everything. Yeah. That the desert is so big and so not, I mean, basically empty. But it is, there's just so much sand. Yeah. So much distance. Man, and like, this is, this is the thing about movies that like, like this, that those, there's so little getting in the way of setting those things up, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's, they, they, they have the confidence to make a film that is not clever, not, it's not clever in the kind of scare quotes kind of, you know, demeaning way that things can be, you know, clever, but that. It's not throwing a bone up and it turning into a spaceship. (laughs) Oh, if only. Oh, yeah, but then, <laughs> but like these, you know, the, the fact that that is that that you are, that we are primed for for experiencing these things um, allows us to make uh, to make these to make these connections ourselves as the audience, right? Like the reason part of the reason this movie does not feel long is because it actively engages you in 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 working through what's happening. It's the same way that when I. I didn't realize that the thing was as long as it was. That movie felt like an, like like an hour two minutes tops to yeah. me, <laughs> because the thing as well, right? We talked about last pod, like it it doesn't make those connections for you. It just you know you you stay a step or two ahead. Uh, the movie's plot only stays a step or two ahead, and you yourself are making up that distance at at the key moments of of rising tension mm-hmm. and allowing allowing that tension to build. Um, in within the story, man, uh, just fucking breaks down the 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 length at which 
uh, which movies feel. And it also allows you to not feel as exhausted by watching them. If, if it's all input and you have no output of the experience, right? You you don't contribute to the movie watching experience. If that's all it is, you just feel assaulted. Fuck by yeah, man! That's what CGI t- does to you, yeah. right? Like it makes every it makes everything easy for you, and it's fucking dull. And this movie does not have that dullness to it. Yeah this this movie gives you extra things to carry and. Because they're on your shoulders instead of the film. Right. Um, they don't have to say as much. They mm-hmm. don't have to show as much. Um, and that just makes it more enjoyable. And so when Sharif is there, he um, basically shoots uh, shoots uh, uh, O'Toole's. He shoots Lawrence's guide and basically says, like, well, you know, I can help you. And uh, Lawrence is like, fuck you. I can do it on my own. Um, and then, you know. Sh- but it also sets up early that, like, yeah, all of these various Arabs and their tribes are not friendly towards each other. Like, yeah. they don't want each other using each other's well. Like, this guy's from a, di- you know. All these people don't just intrinsically get along. They are balkanized in like the most extreme version <laughs> I've the ever most heard of. Literal, yeah, absolutely. Way. yeah. And um, and yeah, he tells them, you know, like this, you know, tells them to fuck off, and yeah. so he fucks off, and then they go fuck off their own ways. But once again, this is you know, it in most films, not to shit on most films, but, but they are terrible. But the banter in this film would just be clever, right? But it serves at least two purposes. It is one of the several times when Lawrence demonstrates Mm -hmm. that he has a kind of honor that he believes the Arabs don't have and that he believes the British don't have. This movie, there is a lot of honor in this film. Mm -hmm. And in this particular scene, two kinds of it are being exhibited. Uh, One that Lawrence has never really shown yet, which is the honor of friendship, Um, the 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 pickup line in this particular scene is that my name is for my friends and my friends are not murderers. Right. And he accuses the Arabs of, I'll I'll sew in the actual (laughs) quote. Sherif Ali, so long as the Arabs fight tribe against tribe, so long will they be a little people, a silly people, greedy, barbarous, and cruel, as you are. And he is accusing... Ali and thus all of Arabia of being ununited on the basis of what is functionally dishonor because it's to defend your well against people that Lawrence in his fantastical conception of Arabia as being one place, which in in itself is kind of a strange conception to have if these tribes actually have real historical problems with one another which they do Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) and still do yeah he's like that 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 contradiction because it's personally affecting him in this exact moment is immaterial Mm -hmm. he came in with this indignity Mm -hmm. and his indignity has been reinforced because it has now afflicted him yeah sharif ali is completely unconcerned with this yeah um thinks he's an idiot and uh honestly expects him to die um, yeah, <laughs> because that's that's why he was offering him a hand. Ali didn't necessarily want him to die. He offered to send. He offered to bring him to Faisal, and Ali happens to work for Faisal. Yeah. So yeah. you know he'd make a pretty good. He was guide. on his way there anyways. Yeah, um, <laughs> and it's just like that. There's a lot in that scene. Like there yeah. is actually a ton going on on top of the dialogue being very cute. Yes, and it, it relevatory because it's our first exposure to the, the like you said, the, the Arab society and culture that yeah. we'll end up dealing with. Um, also, of course, introducing 
I think what who is led to who we are led to see is someone who is worthy of Lawrence's tutelage and vision, right? Like Ali himself, like like much of the film, like, like much of what uh, like much of what Lawrence's leadership is meant to provide needs to be brought there with 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 Lawrence. But I think that through their through their exchange, you know, Ali is not given any ground. Mm-hmm. He's not. Um, shown to be uh, in, uh, in inferior to Lawrence in any way, right? Uh, they are intellectually each other's equal. They, he can uh, Ali can banter with the best of them with with Lawrence as well. And the scene ends the way it ends in order to prove a, a character a point between both of their characters. And Ali is, uh, uh, you know, I really like Ali. I got like a little bit more to say as we head towards the end of the film about this as well. Sure, but um. But I just think this scene sets him up well in the story too. And then secondarily, and I don't I don't mean to talk about an elephant, we don't have to belabor on this as well. But apart from the, you know, from the brown face makeup, um, apart from the ridiculous false nose on Anthony Quinn uh, as another <laughs> as another Arab character, um, you know, apart from the fact that David Lean is clearly a conservative in his political makeup, um, I do not feel that the film handles Arab culture poorly. Um, disingenuously or mockingly in any real attempt. Like I've seen some other fucking, you know, <laughs> epic films like Zulu and things like that, where like the native culture is not well represented okay. in the slightest. Right. Like, I mean, even once again, by what new, by what neutrality was interpreted in the fifties and sixties and in handling indigenous cultures, those films are fucking em- embarrassing. This film is not embarrassing at all. I mean, once again, apart from the makeup and issues apart from that. But that was a general Hollywood problem still at that point. Absolutely. I don't feel, I don't come away. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure someone on Twitter would disagree with me on this, right? But like, <laughs> you know, I didn't come away feeling as 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 embarrassed for the writing and filmmaking as I have with other epics I've seen in in this time period even. No, it's it's only as flawed as it is on paper, honestly. And we there are there are plenty of examples to bring up as we move along through yeah. that, that demonstrate that. And one of the most basic ones, um, it's just the number, but again, we'll get, we'll get to, we'll get to that. Um, they arrive at Faisal's camp. Yep. Yeah. I think, and then we talked a the, little bit the about planes, the exchange. The, the, oh yeah. The planes. Um, the, in, the camp inabili- is under siege. Yeah. Their inability to adapt to modern warfare is the basic uh, theme yeah. that he gets to. I'm really glad that they were consigned to, World War One planes for this because World War One planes are incredibly slow. Yes, and their methods and of attack are they're made of paper, man. They're, they're made of paper. They're they're borderline like <laughs> irregular in the way that they attack. They don't have formations. They're just buzzing around in the sky, and that makes them so much more menacing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because there's just this slow drone, and these plane these planes are literally they're going like 80, 90 miles an hour. But they can't do anything about it. Yeah. They're just on the ground getting bombed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're just, yeah, I, I love, that scene is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and, one of those, and one of those things, too, that we'll see later on is that, like, you know, we, you get an establishing shot, right? You get this, you get this long shot of the, of this Bedou village, which mm-hmm. is, when we say village for, you know, the Bedouin people, they're, you know, they're tent cities, right? They're, yeah. They're meant to be mobile. And um, what's the term? Because oh, they're nomadic. Nomadic. Tribes. Yeah. They're meant yeah, to be, they're they're meant to be a nomadic tribes. town or city. I mean, but this is, it's a sizable community. Yeah. Oh, yeah. fucking A. Okay. This is the thing That's, is that yeah. you yeah. see, this isn't, this is actually hundreds of tents in the desert yeah. filled yeah. with thousands <laughs> of actual people like in this shot, no CGI bullshit here. And, you know, 
seeing the planes move around um, is really incredible to actually see this thing, to see this thing. And it like, I don't care what anyone says, you know, like, cause um, um, I flipped on just for comparison's sake, um, some of the Lord of the Rings uh, films with like lots of people yeah. and that shit looks hokey. You can it tell. Looks, it like even large crowd scenes today, like with CGI shit, it just feels hokey. I think in fucking 10 or 15 years, if, if technology improves or if we go back to doing things in an older way, pe- this shit will be laughable. Because like almost, Lord of the Rings shit is almost laughable to me right now. Oh, and it's wow. like seven years old. Well, it's the, fucking... The Two Towers, I believe, uh, they filmed the siege on Helm's Deep using a modified version of the Total War engine. Right. It shows. Yes. Oh, my <laughs> God. It is... It, it's hokey. It is hokey shit. Okay. It is embarrassing almost. So yeah, better to just actually hire a village full of people. Sure. Absolutely. Or just remaster more frequently. But okay. by, look, <laughs> by taking on how much fucking the Avengers Age of Ultron cost to make, it's got to be cheaper to hire real people for this. That's actually the scary part. Fuck, man. <laughs> yeah. The computers are expensive god yeah. damn well that's you know and then you just you just go to somewhere where like the day rate isn't that much you're bringing jobs you've got morocco. people in your yeah, yeah totally. morocco aikidos and you mm-hmm. know just go to a remote location and provide some people some jobs yeah Fitzcarraldo, that motherfucker up yeah hire some indigenous people yeah make a movie yeah or pull a boat over a mountain it's the same thing yeah. something like that yeah <laughs> It's the same thing. That is that is a scary reality. It's cost three hundred million dollars to put one of those together. This movie's budget was like fifteen million dollars. Something like that, yeah. 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 And granted it was sixty dollars, but you know, get out there. Yeah. <laughs> Make your damn movie somewhere else. Oh, so um so we're in Pride and all, and the question is what to do next, right? His mm-hmm. camp's getting bombed. He's got advice from the British military dude. You've got to make, you know, like. Well, he your... wants, he wants weapons and they're like, well, Only we're going to help it our you, way. but you got to do it our way. Get us some officers, command yeah. your people. Then we'll, then, then, you know, do a little colonizing, yeah. drink some tea. Let's do this right. Chap, you know, um, and Lawrence has a different view. Um, so what? Uh, I love these little scenes. So um, in the tent, at the end of their discussion, um, there is a, a slight little creak in one of the tent poles of Faisal's massive royal tent. Um, he looks at it, looks it up and down, and then goes back to the scene. We don't know what it portends, but when Lawrence leaves and has and has the challenge of figuring out what the fuck to do next, he just walks off. You know, he decides he's just going to walk <laughs> off into into the fucking desert and it turns out it's a fucking sandstorm which once again is this like fucking swirly the the swirl of ideas theoretically right the 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 the, the, his his deliberations in his own mind about what to do next um in this as he thinks overnight in the sandstorm about what to do um and of course what he comes to is this key thing or what is this one thing he must do one word Akaba. Akaba. Yes. That's the answer. Akaba is the answer. Um, and what we find out, I'll just quickly re- reveal it, is that Akaba is apparently a necessary seaport for the Turkish army. Um, invading it seaward is disastrous because it's well defended, uh, you know, incoming in from the yeah, sea. From the yeah, sea. Yeah. yeah. Pointed right where you can only go. The only way to get to it is to cross an impassable desert. And take it from behind. Take it from behind. All Like all best things in life. And um <laughs> So Faisal we haven't gotten to that part yeah, yet. Faisal essentially uh, tells him, you know, look, take fifty men. Uh, Sharif Ali uh, will join you in this. Um, and when you come out of this desert, you know, 
you might be able to raise um, or find some allies in the uh, no other nomadic tribes in the area uh, because you've accomplished something that nobody thinks you'll be able to accomplish, namely passing this impassable desert. And um, that's the next. That's the next. And this wasn't of really. Movie. Yeah, this wasn't really uh, Lawrence's uh, orders. He was supposed to just hang out a little bit and come back, but yeah, he is liaise. Yeah, yeah, he is off the reservation now, as we like to say in America. <laughs> And he demonstrates his first instance of being Lawrence yes. in this scene. In in the macro sense, his personality has certainly come through until then. But there's uh, there's a scene right before he sets off with his raving his his roving band of fifty now converts to yeah. the, the prophesized the Lawrence Lawrence of yeah. El Lawrence yeah. Lawrence yeah. of uh, Arabia. He affirms with. King Faisal, who he did not tell about this plan initially, mm -hmm. um, that he can now claim to ride in the name of King Faisal. Yes. And King Faisal, being a snide asshole, says, uh, Yes, Lieutenant Lawrence, you may claim it. But in whose name do you ride? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... And then he writes for himself, damn it. So he never answers it. That's I, know, I know, I know, I know. It's so fucking, but once again, these things just linger through and it's both heavy handed and yet once it just so cleverly links everything through it. It's just, it's so well woven. This is, this thing is a beautiful cinematic tapestry. It is just so fucking impressive. So, so this is good. So our journey through the Nafud desert is mm -hmm. basically a transformation of Lawrence where he goes from being a British liaison mm -hmm. to basically becoming an Arab. El like, Lawrence. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the title. Yeah. Through, you know, during, during this period. And mm -hmm. there is, this is one of the last movies to be shot on 70 millimeter. And, mm -hmm. um, the reason that's important is basically for this particular desert shot, because mm -hmm. I guess when you, even when you try to show it on TV, like the way they have to cut it, it doesn't work. But there's like, after this long desert journey, there's this beautiful shot where Lawrence goes back mm -hmm. to get Gassian. Gassium. Gassium. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, you know, it's basically our vast desert and Lawrence is a speck on one side of the screen. Yeah. And our guy that got left behind is a crawling speck on the yeah. other side of the screen. And of course, with our beautiful... Uh, what is it? London Symphony Orchestra Overture. Yep. Yeah. These two characters are slowly getting closer and closer and closer and closer together until he rescues them. And it's just visually just like a wonderful, wonderful piece of cinema. Yeah, it's it's really great because the, the whole dynamic of that scene also incorporates, um, since we need to bring them up, the two young orphans that he has kind of picked up as his first yeah so these two kids keep tagging along and they want jobs because everyone needs yeah, jobs he hires them so the he imps. hires yeah, them yeah his, his personal they're called in the screenplay yeah and it's um it's really incredible too because like even the cutting of 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 lawrence meeting up with kasim we never we see them almost reach each other yes it's fucking great and then you know, will because what's happened is what's happened is Kasim has has fallen off his camel in the night on the on this really treacherous stretch of their journey. Journey, when they realize that as, as the day breaks, that that Kasim is somewhere left in this treacherous place, walking like to basically certain death. Yeah. You know, Lawrence goes back for him against everyone telling yeah. him you're fucking killing yourself, and he's like, nothing is written. Yeah, the Arabs say yeah. it's written that this guy's fallen off. He's meant to die. That's why we move on because you know, I mean. Going back risks everyone. Yeah. You being behind saves 
everyone but Kasim. And so they are like, you know, he goes back and gets it. And when he gets Kasim and brings him back, you know, like you said, we never see them meet up. And when it's when the heroic aspect of him finally emerging from this treacherous devil's anvil portion of the desert is one of his um, young, uh, his young uh, uh, attaches. Dawood. Uh, yes. Um, sitting at the edge of this really treacherous point, waiting for him to come back. We just see him sitting there and then suddenly take, <laughs> take notice and then starts riding towards it, riding t- into this. And we're like, did he fucking, we know he, got, I mean, we know he got him. I mean, yeah. we know where this is. This movie's not over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, we're only a quarter of the yeah, way through we're it. Just you fucker. going. We know it, but then when we see it, it is this fucking, we see his, uh, Dawood's triumphal fucking exhortation that he's, that he's succeeded. His master yes, has that, returned. He, and that he got, and not just that, but got Kasim, yeah. right? And then we see Lawrence finally with, with Kasim on, on his back, you know, riding him back to safety and shit. It's just, once again, it's just this little clever fucking development of these, of these little scenes, these oh, it's, micro it's scenes. shot so God damn. It is, it, the, at, at the height of his craft. Yeah. Um, one of the things I'd also like to bring up too is that David Lean, apart from Dr. Zhivago and A Passage to India and other rightfully epic fucking films. Yeah. Um, he also directed what is probably one of the best military thrillers ever made, which is Bridge on the River Kwai. I've been I wanting to watch it. I don't fuck, remember oh, if I've seen fuck, that. man. So there are, once again... That's what he did before this movie. Yeah, this is 50, that's yeah. 56, 57. That's even yeah. earlier. And... Fuck, there's some really great stuff. Almost um, almost Wages of Fear excellent okay. editing going on there as well. If I may name drop myself. But there is some really great fucking storytelling editing uh, moments in that as well. And it, it, So, yeah, well worth our time. So, so after chastising him on the way in, Ali is won over on the way back. Yep. Um, he is adorned as yeah. Paul Lorenz. Yep. Yeah, they they give him the give him traditional Arab garb. They burn his old clothes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And my it wasn't Lawrence who burned them. Yeah. Yeah, Sharif Ali. <laughs> Sharif yeah. takes them off of the clothesline and throws them in the fire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then gives him a fly white robe. Yep. It's pretty awesome. Nice he dagger. Spends, yeah, he spent some time gallivanting in the... That's a great scene. Yeah, in the yeah. valley, just kind of testing out the new garb. To do, yeah. 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 Pretending to, uh, to pretend, uh, bow and mm-hmm. say a couple of things out loud, and which runs him straight into. Uh, well, this is when uh, Abu. What is uh, Auda? Auda. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is Anthony Auda Quinn. basically finds him while he's, you know, performing t- for himself. Which, which in is the a valley. great reveal. Yeah. Just he's like standing there on a horse. Yes. Not yes. on a camel. Well, that's what I mean. So now we've got one upgrade because the Bedouins that we're with right now are all on camels, mm-hmm. but. Um, Outta, on the interior of the peninsula, right? Yeah, yeah. Outa yeah. has has horse technology, which <laughs> that is an upgrade. Yeah, the, stirrups and everything. Yeah, the Porsche of yeah. animal locomotion. Yes, and the black horse, and right. a, and, a, and a fairly fierce uh, a leader of a fairly fierce group of Arabs, right on the other side of this of this, of this desert, desert, right? Cut yes, throat, even. yes. Um, uh, but, not but servants. <laughs> before that, before that comes up, just as a as a hint, because it, it, it'll come up a dozen other times, but. Um, <laughs> he crosses the desert. He uh, he picks up the uh, the downtrodden and fallen. He himself has yeah. nothing. Mm-hmm. So in the scene where uh, Faisal is in his tent with his um, with his band of advisors, Lawrence completes a line out of the Quran. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, 
an indication, not of a religious man, but merely a learned man, of mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. Um, and Faisal's impressed, naturally, because he's an Arab and he's amazed anyone knows the Quran. Right. Who's white? I mean, yeah. who, who on earth? Yeah, to this day, that's impressive. Like, why are you, yeah, why are you <laughs> yeah, bothering? Yeah. Shit. Um, the Quran is only neo-biblical. And the thing that gradually comes to overrule Lawrence's character is not is not a Quranic story. It is a straight Abrahamic story, which right. comes up later. Yeah. But that's you know, he's he's not he's he's building in the direction this is this is the connection he has to Arabia. Um the the uh the odd subtle connection that everyone in the Euro Afro, even most of West Asiatic uh community over the last two thousand years since this movie was produced, is that they're all reading from three books that are uh, pretty much one after the other sequels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they do actually have a lot in common. Yes. Uh, they just start to fray at the edges a little bit once you press on them too hard. <laughs> but we'll come back to that. Uh, Aouda comes by with his son, who he's training. So his son, like his kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good shit. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, they come by. They're not happy about their well being used. Yep. But he didn't bring anybody with him, which... Probably should have brought someone with him. Yep. Yeah. If he was going to stop a band of 50 people, he did not. So he relents. Yep. Um, and then they uh, they meet up and negotiations begin. Yes. Once again, a lot of the clever wordplay here, a lot of, you know. Yeah. About, go- yeah. He basically has to, uh, like, and this is a military tactic of his, is he has to get basically whoever, whichever Arab he's talking to, to think that he came up with the idea mm-hmm. that this is something that he wants to do. He can't just like go and propose this stuff yeah, straight we can, out. As Lawrence, he can't tell him. Yeah. And neither can Sharif, nor would they ask him because I don't, I don't do favors. Yeah. But instead we have, we, you, there has been this proposal and I can, I, I can make this happen. It's well, fucking yeah, really, and he, and yeah. he has to like convince out of that this is something that he wants to do because like he finds pleasure in it right a hundred a hundred and fifty what matters it's a trifle a trifle which they take from a great box they have in akaba in akaba where else you trouble me like women <laughs> friends we have been foolish Auda will not come to akaba no for money no for Faisal? No. Not to drive away the Turks. He will come. Because it is his pleasure. But yeah, this is this is this is of you, right? Like there's not something here that's that's the implication is that you can not that first off you can betray the Turks who are fucking buying buying you off for your passivity. Yeah. And you know that there is this reward for you in this destination that we want to go. And it's, There'll be the spoils of war yeah. if you actually take action from this, and spoils is what you want, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. That's what you're living for. That's his form of honor. exactly. Literally referenced several times. Yeah, yeah honor, and, and, honor is very specific. Spoils of war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and he wants a uh, gold, like paper money. Not as good. Like no. he's old school. Paper's a promise. Yeah. Old school. He wants he wants his spoils of war in gold bullion. Yeah, Oda has this great <laughs> phrase where he says, I am I am great, but I am poor because I am a river to my people. Yeah. And it's fucking like a love like I love I love the the own kind of self-deception necessary to utter such a phrase with such conviction. 
And yeah, so we are on the road to, uh, we are, we're on the way to Aqaba. Aqaba. Yeah, so now that we found, we found another Wiley gang, we got enough people to storm Aqaba. Absolutely. And it really didn't take that many. No, but. They take it. They come in from the backside. There's like three machine gunners. They run past those without even shooting yeah, at them. Yeah, they just yeah. ransack the city. You know because, when you've been out, yeah, you, you know, know when you've been out fought. <laughs> fucking. Yeah. And there's, there's great, like every other shot in this entire film. This is a great panning shot that mm-hmm. resolves the fight, which is mostly just horses racing in mm-hmm. from the west to the east, or I guess from the south to the north. And the shot pans from hundreds of cavalry yeah. toward the shore that has now been achieved. Yep. And the last thing you see is the gun laying dormant. Facing the wrong the way. Yeah, facing, facing the, the wrong, wrong way. way. And that's just fantastic. Oh, so fucking great. And then, um, so the, 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 the scene is executed by a fucking actual detachment of the Jordanian army. <laughs> so like, this isn't like some bullshit fucking scene. This isn't no CGI bullshit, right? This is like, this is, and I think too, for, you know, for anyone who like, you know, like is a history, you know, you know, nerd like myself, you know, the idea of like seeing, you know, ancient or even, you know, militaries in action 200 years ago, mm-hmm. right? Like what would Napoleon's army have looked like? Um, you know, people on horse were like for like 4,000 years were like the fucking tits of military fucking accomplishment. Really like the movie Four Feathers for that. Yeah. You have the Arabs and then the British and they do a lot of the formations. With yeah. The, it's, it's, there's some good scenes the, in that for that type of thing. And the taking of Aqaba though is yeah. like, what would a light cavalry charge look like? <laughs> Uh, you like see, yeah, yeah, you see one. Yeah, this is what it was like. This is what this is actually what it looks like. Just fucking incredible, fucking great and incredible, uh, and really, really amazingly well done. Once again, the the timing of having a camera on a cliff face, following your fucking charging marauding <laughs> army through the city to end on the on a on a on a close shot of the very artillery that you're meant to do all in one go. Yeah, all in one go. Epic. Epic filmmaking right there. Epic filmmaking. But to what end? It didn't work out. There's no gold. There's no just gold. paper. Oh, just paper. Jesus Christ. So one of the ways you can get away with putting all of your actors in brown face is by having enough of them. And yes. this is very important because <laughs> this movie could have been incredibly problematic um, in the 21st century meaning of the word if Aouda was the Arab. Right. Yeah. Because even, even if he was just the first Arab to show mm-hmm. up. Because Aouda is exactly what a myopic warlord dirtbag Arab, yeah. quote unquote, would be like. Yeah. He, is, he, he only wants gold. He fights all the time. He talks slowly. He's not that smart. Listen, Anthony Quinn has played that character in like every culture, I'm pretty <laughs> yeah. sure, over the course of his movie making history. <laughs> Look, and it's no, it's no John Wayne as an Asian. But no, like, well, that was just bad. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> oh god, like it's it's not that he doesn't play it well, but he is completely the stereotype. Oh yeah. Um, but it's fine because there's other Arabs. Yeah, you have enough of them. You can go. Yeah, but Ali's a smart dude. Yeah, and Faisal's conniving, and you know there there is in fact a spectrum of brown people. Yeah. in the film, and it's weird because a lot of people give like modern social justice, like tons of flack for either falling it for like mainstream media, either falling into stereotypes or deliberately attempting to flaunt them. 
And all you really have to do is have slightly more of them. Yeah. And you fix this problem pretty much right off the bat. Again, it'd be better if they were actually brown people and not Alec Guinness. But, you know. But they each represent a different type of, like I said, yeah, there's there's diversity amongst the Arabs. They're not painting with a broad brush. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know. That's, that's that's all we're asking for. No, no. <laughs> that's all we're damn. asking for. Um, so Aouda's really mad. Um, so, But Lawrence delivered on something of a miracle, one might say. So he's willing to take Lawrence's word when he b- writes on a sheet of paper that He'll you know, come the crown back owes gold. you 5,000 yeah. guineas. Yep. Just writes it, gives it to him. He's like, oh, you seem like a good guy. I trust you. Yeah, he trusts him. Yeah. He just doesn't trust the paper in the Turkish vaults. <laughs> the um, actual money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the actual money he throws into a fire. <laughs> but at this point, uh, good old Lawrence needs to get back uh, to the military palace and keep everyone abreast of the situation. You got to cross yeah. Sinai to get there. Uh, yeah, and this he does. This, oh, yeah, God. that's what I mean. And this is this is a long, miserable journey too. But he just has his two uh, young, uh, you know, valets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean, he did just get done crossing the sun's anvil. Yeah. Um. So he's ready for anything. Yeah. And I mean, how hard can crossing the Sinai be? Moses did it. Yeah. yeah. It took him 40 years. But, you know, uh, so. The, the first explicit fracture moving from straight um, Abrahamic to Jewish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, yeah. Has, he, has, he has departed from the Quran entirely. He mm-hmm. is only working the Old Testament now. You know, foreshadowing. And uh, so he loses a, uh, he loses one of his imps in quicksand. To quicksand, of all things. He's pretty upset about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he even loses his compass, his trusty compass. Yeah. Yep. And by the time he makes it back to our military <coughs> palace, he's in fairly rough shape yes. with his young Arab boy. And um, he's not thrilled. Well, no. and the people in the place, like, they, they don't. They don't even know what to do. Like Lawrence is in full Arab guard. He's bringing like Arab children into an this orphan place because, child. Yeah, into a military base. Cool. Yeah. He's like basically going around asking for a drink at the bar. <laughs> he goes to the bar. There's an and absurd does... amount of people following him as he's just trying to refresh himself I mean, after his long journey. The drink he orders is not a gin and tonic, you know? I mean, I don't understand. <laughs> it's not even alcoholic. God yeah. almighty. Yeah, really. what he went full Arab? Yeah. Jesus. God, damn. <laughs> yeah, he walks in, he walks in in his fly getup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Completely caked with dirt and, you know, he's not, he's not greeted all that well. Um, See but, here, Lawrence. Yeah. See here. There's a. There's we didn't expect you to go native. Yeah, yeah that that shows yeah. up later. But, you know, <laughs> but no, the major of the mess hall gets upset. Um, but even a mustache like his cannot overcome Lawrence's <laughs> determination. And once again, Lawrence. Uh, this this shows up. I. It's one of the. Is it one of the last lines? It's not the last line. Uh, Ali is asked by the Chicago journalist. Yeah. Okay. If Lawrence changed after he came back, and Ali says no, right? And Ali's right because mm-hmm. Lawrence isn't actually really any different now than he was when he left. Lawrence left as an eccentric who was concerned about Arabia in the midst of a British military who couldn't give a shit about anything, and he just arrived back in the exact same condition, mm-hmm. um, the the exact same mental condition. Um, but with the scars, yeah. Um, he is the same person. 
he is the one who is actually concerned, even if he has a weird way of showing it. Um, and he shows this to the new general. Well, yeah, in a weird way, too, that, like, I, there's so there's a lot of, like, criticism and perspective, obviously, you know, being a great movie, about the about what about the arc of his character in in the story. And I think that, David, you hit, I think you hit it on, kind of on the nail there, which is that the, the essential elements of Lawrence as a person, personality, and his actions, um, they all, you know, all the spikes remain spikes. They just tend to have become spikier, right? They've drawn <laughs> further away, f- um, away from the kind of, like, mean of what a normal person would be, right? The... His eccentricities, his his ability to endure harshness, um, the uh, the the, proc- the the proclivities of his personality all have, in a sense, remained the st- same. But through circumstance and through his own accomplishments, have like stretched out even farther than what we would have well, realized at the it, beginning. That's the personality that got him to to where he was going to be in the first place. Like I said, now he's just like it's he's almost more realized. More. Yeah. And here's the weird he thing. He has direct reports. Well, yeah. then, but for someone like to accomplish something great or to you know to change their circumstance, so much of self-help means you have to like change who you are somehow, mm-hmm. right? And this movie is like, no, it's fucking kind of stupid, right? Like what if you just became more yourself? Right? What if you gave into what allowed you to accomplish things? What if you gave into that more and allowed and and see what see what could come of that? And for Lawrence, when he does that, like when he releases certain aspects of his personality that are that are there, like it 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 is he fits into the situations that he that he finds himself in. Well, because even because it, it touches on it a little bit, even like now now that he is like Lawrence plus you know violence, like he even talks about how that seemed to even though he wasn't aware of that, that seems to fit into his personality probably more than he it should. Yeah, he's quite uncomfortable with it. Yeah, because it like that almost seemed really natural to him. Yes. And that's um, what's yeah, that's what's striking yeah. is that 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 is surprising to himself because yeah. before he had done something, it was in a sense all theoretical. Yeah. Right now that he had accomplished it, suddenly he realizes that there's even parts of him that are willing to go further. Yeah. And that's like for people who never challenge themselves, they don't know what the fuck we're talking about right now, mm-hmm. right? But if you know, if you have yet to do something and hit your own natural plateau in what you've done. Right, like there's like you know you need to like maybe push yourself a little bit farther next time when you want to like do something. Well, and he's in, actually like, been and yeah, and just the the actually like testing it because you can like think that you'd be good in these situations all day, but it's very hard to determine if you don't exercise. Well, you know, actually getting into these situations. So General Allenby has to get his best man in the field back in the field now. Absolutely, uh, he is entirely unwilling to. Uh, be part of the prophecy that he thought he wanted to be part. Oh, we didn't actually mention, um, Lawrence shoots a guy Mm -hmm. and that guy happens to be the one he saved. Yes. Kasim. Yeah. Yes. Giving him complete control over life and death (laughs) in the desert. Which, uh, it just comes up. This does become a real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, Lawrence is highly uncomfortable with that responsibility because he enjoys it too much. Yes. Um, at least at the outset, when he's mm-hmm. talking to Alan B, trying to convince him to let him go, mm-hmm. he is. Cons- he seems to be concerned for his soul in a way that he will not be for the remainder of this film. This right. is the last time he has the real option of not becoming the great person he will inevitably become. And Alan B sees this and needs to 
push him. So he does the thing that generals. Well, listen, none of these other British officers are interested in leaving the palace. So, I mean, they've got to get the one guy that's actually out in the field back out there. Yeah, oh, really. absolutely. Everyone yeah. else is just <laughs> wanting to build squash courts and stay <laughs> in their gated, you know. Yeah, they're gated, they're gated officer community in a yeah. war. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and Alan B, who replaces the general who was there before, who was asking for artillery and had a bigger mustache. Um, Alan B is the perfect embodiment of this. Everything he says, you know, Lawrence, when he gets initially reprimanded, you know, in an entirely formal capacity yeah. for having done this, Lawrence asks, Shouldn't officers use that initiative at all times? Not really. It's awfully dangerous, Lawrence. He Im- he embodies the bureaucracy of Britain, and in a weird way, the efficiency of that bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. He does exactly as much as he absolutely needs to, and no more. Which is why, in order to get Lawrence back into the field, mm-hmm. what does he do? He promotes him to major, lets him sleep on it, right? And then in the morning, you he's, know, he's back out in the. He's pretty much ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's there's always this kind of bullshit thing in like um in in, in like business uh in businesses circles or like sometimes in like political things where the subordinate um goes off on their own initiative, takes a major risk, and succeeds, and essentially puts their superior in a position of either having to fire them or promote them. Yeah, and there's apparently this like com- this is like a thing to do apparently in organizations. So oh, yeah. um, I'm really excited to maybe try that out one of these days. But what also, um, <laughs> I think just to maybe mention too, uh, there, the complexity of the situations that Lawrence finds himself in is, uh, an, uh, is touched on in a lot of the dialogue within that, in his coming back after having taken Aqaba. Uh, and uh, part of the like emotionality, when he initially gets back, he seems a little overcome with emotion because he has his, um, one of the young boys, uh, Dawood, I think it is. or, or Yeah, one, yeah, one yeah, of the Dawood's young, the yeah. No, wait, Dawood's the one that died in quicksand. So okay. the other one is left with Faraj. him. Faraj, Faraj, yeah. And he's yeah. clearly like um, stricken by what he has experienced, um, yeah, not just with taking Aqaba, but then in Dawood's death very traumatically in the, in the sandstorm on Sinai. And, you know, when he finally gets into the safety of the, uh, you know, the the uh, officer palace in, in Cairo, um, the, he, he clutches the young the young kid to him and... Uh, when he comes up, they're like, "See here, you know what happened." And when he when he's explaining that he that he took Akaba, um, he is having this really emotional moment, and he says, "You know, like, yes, I took Akaba. Uh, we took it. Uh, we killed people far far too many people. You know, like um, more than more than should have been killed. But I'll do I'll, try, I'll do better next time. I'll do I'll do better <laughs> next time." And um, but the arc of that scene, right? That like the, the emotions that are hit at, along the way of him eventually being convinced to go back into the field is this, you know. One of the weird things about film is that it's incredibly condensed time-wise, but it would make it makes sense that someone would go on this emotional arc when what seems to us in only ten minutes, what might be appear on on film to be a day or two, but might have been several weeks before yeah. he finally tr- journeys back out there. Um, but I do like the fact that part of his fear of not wanting to go back out is his ability to instigate and make something happen and maybe not be able to control it. And when you're when you're in this bizarre reach exceeding your grasp possibility, I mean, very, very few of us actually try to achieve something, you know, fantastic or great, um, especially in the modern world. And when you, I mean, if you were scared by your own possibility, I mean, that's a feeling that like 98% of people really don't like, aren't able to like connect with or identify the idea that like, 
what you could accomplish, what might be greater than your ability to imagine it. Like, I would like that feeling. I mean, that's a good fear to feel. I mean, usually I'm feeling, I'm fearing a failure, right? Not being able to realize my ambitions. But what if the fear was flipped where you were actually afraid of what you could accomplish through your own talents and your own personality and your own ability to make it happen? I mean, that is, that is, that's like, that's like Alexander the Great kind of fear. That's you know? why we're talking about Lawrence now. Exactly, right? Like, you know, this is, I mean, I just, people just like, I just shake his hand at some point, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, like, you know, that's, that's my role in the film. And so, yeah. So uh, he goes off to do just that. Yeah, a little, again, a little bit of ego stroking, you know, like yeah. a little bit of you know needing, um, almost wanting to, him to walk through the plan, so to speak. Like, where are you at? What's going on here? What do you need? And you know, he so he falls back into that, right? Like Lawrence is like, no. Once I've kind of considered it now, like my my ambition is kind of taking over with this, and that was what drives him forward oh, with that too. And it and it's teased by a smile. There's a smirk he has on his face when he eventually says that he's going to go. It, it, it's it's ego. I mean, it's not. A lot of this is ego. Th- this part is not out of respect for the Arab nation. This is not ambition in that sense. This is this is him believing his own shit. Because he ends up, well, because he gets a little ego crushing uh, after this next campaign. And, and he basically we have to like redo this pep talk again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a much, much less, first in a much less decadent place. And yeah. then in an only slightly less decadent place than where we are now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, to get to there, um, Lawrence has a new plan. It he's involves gotta, trains. Yeah, he's he needs because uh, the idea is to take over Damascus and Turkey. So he needs to he needs to put some damage on the Turkish supply chain. So the next segment of the movie is a lot of train robberies and robbery in tra- train robberies in film. Mm-hmm. Traditionally, my understanding of them. Uh, which is limited, <laughs> does not usually involve all that much mass murder. Like usually, you get on the train, right? Yeah. So there's no. It's there's like no, it's there's like no, there's no handkerchief obscuring the yeah, lower it's half more, of your face. Yeah, they're more like bank robberies. You, you just tell <laughs> yeah. everyone to lay on the floor. You take what you need, and you ride off into the sunset. They um. It's a yeah. It's a mobile heist, basically. Yeah, they're a little bit more aggressive about their. Uh, guerrilla warfare tactics because they start with like they start by blowing up the tracks to Mm -hmm. get the train to a stop and then just an army of Arabs with Lawrence in the lead just ascend upon the the train Mm -hmm. shooting and waving uh, waving their swords absolutely And, and it does seem to be according to a lot of people's recounting one of the more historically accurate components of the entire film okay so i suppose in some ways they had information to draw on in a way they didn't for a lot of these other things but the composition of attempting to show an army of 100 150 mm-hmm. um arabs on a hill shooting at a train mm-hmm. There's a lot of ways you can go about doing that. Um, and the one that David Lean goes for is very specifically Lawrence's perspective, which he's taken most of the time. But if you wanted the most grandiose shot of this, he doesn't really give it to us. Mm-hmm. You see the train in a completely foreshortened manner coming toward mm-hmm. the screen. And Lawrence is at the end on the right side of a giant line on a hill. Mm-hmm. 
full of people with guns and you just see it go off to the vanishing point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The dune, the dune where they're all perched over with their rifles yeah. extends beyond the, the, the frame of the camera. Yeah. You don't actually get to see, you probably can't even actually see all of the extras in that scene because of the way that it is shot. Um, but it's a, it is what's weird about that is that it makes the scale of the thing more conceptual. It makes it a little more abstract than mm-hmm. maybe it would be otherwise because like when they took Aqaba, mm-hmm. by contrast, there were, you know, a thousand cavalry going into an actual town. Mm-hmm. And we saw the whole thing from up on a hill. Yeah. The train, and the the reason I'm bringing this up, the, the train is supposed to feel smaller. Despite the fact that actually overcoming a multi-car train in this way is a crazy feat in some way. Mm-hmm. But the way that it's shot diminutizes that mm-hmm. well this because it well and because by the end you just get this feeling that he has a merry ring of bandits that yeah. are just that, trying to get loot exactly and that's really what the motivation for most of his army is during mm-hmm. this segment yeah it doesn't it doesn't feel like it it doesn't feel like a guerrilla army knocking over a many many ton train it feels like it feels like a bank robbery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a it's a form and function kind of problem here, right? Which is that you know he is um, part of his pitch to Faisal in the first half of the movie about what about the approach they should take is once again the idea of you know becoming a regular army, mm-hmm. right? Or the um, the the very poetic line that Lawrence uses is that you know the the desert is a, is an ocean in which no ore is dipped, right? Mm-hmm. And that the Arabs go on this ocean where they please and strike where they please, and this should be the way that you do this. Well, and a thousand Arabs is a thousand knives. Yes, exactly. A thousand yeah, yeah a thousand Arabs is a thousand knives. Put any yeah, uh, and so we get this like really wonderful synopsis of that. But of course, um, the whole ability to do this is because they are these nomadic, very you know short to medium term kind of thinking. <laughs> Uh, that organizes the basic principles of their society. And he is harnessing this, right? But yet can't fully control the basic tendencies of these uh, of the Arab tribes that um, he is gaining the loyalty of through the uh, through the first half of the film. And we're demonstrated this, right? I think yeah. that it's intentionally to kind of show this banditry essentially what well, it is. Because his army, is. like for every train, like the, the group keeps getting smaller and smaller because uh, for a lot of these, these guys are just picking up their spoils and they're going back home once mm-hmm. they've had enough. So like his, his army is dwindling down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Lawrence doesn't understand this because he thinks he's like, well, wait a minute, we're playing for like a bigger thing here. It's like, no. Where, you know, these people are just, they're just here to, to get what they need and move on. Mm-hmm. And that is epitomized in an argument between Auda and yes. Colonel Brighton mm-hmm. near the end of the train sequences um, during a, is that during a botched one? Either way, um, Auda delivers uh, his, probably his best line of the film. Well, you've got what you wanted, so you're going home. Is that it? Of course. If Lawrence has got what he wants, he will go home. When you have got what you want, you will go home. Oh, no, I shan't, Auda. Then you are a fool. Maybe. I am not a deserter. Give thanks to God, Brighton, that when he made you a fool, he gave you a fool's face. But, too, you know, there's this wider theme that's kind of running through that, which is... um, the individuals might leave, but the British do not intend to leave, right? Like, yeah. the, the individual people... You know, yeah, their motivations are as individuals, um, highly, 
uh, particularized to their to their you know to what they're there for. Um, but the you know the plotting institution of empire um, that is not leaving right. What these got what what the British and Lawrence are actually trying to uh, no not necessarily Lawrence right. What the British are trying to do here is to establish something so that it it won't leave. Yeah. They individually might leave, but what they what they will leave something behind that is intended to have a more permanent presence, and that is the. You know, the dichotomy, that is the the tension between why Lawrence wants to accomplish something for the Arabs, right? He wants to prevent the establishment of this, you know, permanent, you know, colonial exploitation. Colonial, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. the colonialism. Yeah, that's imperialism. Intended. Yeah, exactly. That's well, And specifically the British indifference flavor of it, yeah. uh, which Allen B. Emblem, his yeah, emblematic, yes, exactly, and his but represents, his, yeah. well, but his attitude is so is so perfectly, you know, matches that tone, right? Like his, it's you know, inert, he does oh. exactly as much as he needs to, and no more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. he doesn't even fight any more than he needs to. No. no, he he is insistent on sitting. Yep, and let it play out, right? Like it's yeah. like you know, like we've got we've got a lot of material behind us. We can afford to let the situation play out, and um, yeah, we'll intervene when we have to, or more importantly, when we don't have to. Yeah. Yes. Well, on the the last train, there is a bit of a botch because um, this is where stuff starts starts turning because he still has Auto with him, mm -hmm. but Dayud puts a detonator in his outfit and mm -hmm. then can't find it and ends up blowing himself up. Oh God! And it, but then Lawrence wounded, not killed. Yeah, wounded, not killed, and then Lawrence uh, Mercy kills him and and. Uh, no, wait, I'm sorry, that was it was Farash. Oh, yeah, one of the kids, yeah, the remaining Farash's kid. Farash's last words is that Dawood be upset with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and but Lawrence... then they but then they they finish off with that train and at that point Auto leaves because there's a nice uh there's there's some beautiful horses and yeah. he's like, This is good enough to leave. Yeah, and the spoils just aren't perfect aren't yeah. uh, honorable enough. And honorable so when he, yeah, when and he, he finds... finally finds something honorable enough. So then um Lawrence is just left with, uh, you know, Sharif Ali mm -hmm. and uh, just a few, just only a few people left mm -hmm. and it is winter. Probably now. the original band. Yeah. His original disciples from and they, back in Yenbo. They, they're basically stuck, uh, you know, they're stuck, you know, riding out the winter in a cave with yeah. just a small group that, that hasn't gone home for the winter. Which is perfect in the narrative of the underdog that Lawrence uh, has been trading on this whole time. <laughs> mm -hmm. So he's totally undeterred by this. Sharif is less so mm -hmm. and uh, gets chewed out for it. Um, I don't – that scene is weird because I don't – I guess there's the uh, – there's, there's a heavily done up – Dude, he looks like a thespian. He looks like he's on stage. Yeah, um, yeah. He he becomes sort of the the malicious surrogate mm -hmm. from here to the end of the film. I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to see if I can find the guy's name. Uh, you guys know who I'm talking about. Yeah, he's the guy who points when Lawrence spits. And yeah, says that is not an argument. Yeah, um, you know because there's a rumor that he's doing this for the British because he's doing it for the British. Yeah, so it's it's a good rumor. Well, a it's a well founded. Well, he is a rumor. British officer. So. <laughs> but um. But Lawrence isn't having it because Lawrence, in addition to being a major in the British Army, is also the savior of the Arab people. Yeah. So, unbidden. He has many hats. Yeah. <laughs> and he's confused by all of them. And he's about to be even more confused by one of them. He takes Sharif into the town, the Turkish town of 
Dara. Yeah, and he's going to just take this over himself because he doesn't have an army with him right now. Yeah. Uh, and his his tactic for this is bizarre. He's just going to walk in and get himself captured, basically. What? Uh, he, he didn't intend to get captured, but this is certainly but the he most... But he flaunts himself in such a way that there was nothing that was going well, to happen to him outside yeah, so uh, of getting captured. His purpose and motivation is a little hinky here. I mean, is he, I think he's... All right, so he's going... He, he says what he says. The line he says is, "I'm going to announce myself." Yeah. Right. And so uh, the idea that his his band of followers has become so that they can't do any sort of the normal operations they've been doing up to that point. He essentially says, "I'm going to go into town. I'm going to announce myself. I'm going to get some allies, and then maybe we can keep a keep a campaign keep a campaign." You have to I laugh guess. when he goes here because I mean, as far as a town, this thing looks like just uh, some. Uh, okay. Yeah. So sorry, Nicole. Oh, um, sorry. So the the. The Sharif Ali companion that you were referring yep. to with the with the overdone makeup, uh, the character's name is Majid, and the actor's name is Gamil Ratib. Okay, no. yeah, actual uh, Arab, uh, Pakistani, Pakistani, Punjabi. Okay. Well, uh, but yeah, no. So yeah, he is actual um, dark skin. Yeah, but he's the. <laughs> no, this says he's Egyptian. Um, no, Anthony Quinn is Egyptian. Gamil Ratib no, is no, not no, Egyptian. Fucking... You, you said Gamil Ratib. Uh. You're right. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, this is Egyptian. Okay, you're right. Fucking a. Fucking. It's right area. Fuck what I know. Fuck all. Right area. Anyway. Goddamn internet. Oh, I well, so I back, just I love, I love the point. aesthetics of this town that he's going to take over because it basically looks like some ruins with like uh about three military soldiers that just kind of walk. Around. It doesn't even look like anyone fucking lives here. Like it is, and yet is important for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's really important that he does this on his own. It's certainly the least well thought out of his yeah. plans. Yeah, in and, this, and he pays for that. He does. Yeah, it turns out that a blonde-haired, blue-eyed white guy walking around an Arab town kind <laughs> of sta- sticks well, out a little bit. Yeah, and think. he has a hard time passing as an Arab because other people just aren't convinced. Yeah, man, particularly the gruff, the gruff police-like soldiers yes. wandering <laughs> through the muddy streets of this of this uh, Syrian town uh, take notice and bring yeah. him back to the boss, and the boss. The boss loves the fact that something beautiful has marched in, but does not care for Lawrence's yes, insolence. Absolutely, yeah. No, this is this it's, is not, it's a bizarre. Yeah, this inter- is not encounter. Well. Yeah, and then there's um there's like a little bit of I don't know, kind of like homoerotic, uh, and it's not banter, but they kind of give each other the look, mm-hmm. and then um the the general in charge of this town you know, is like, we'll beat him and, you know, stands longingly in the doorway watching. It's a, it's a cool this whole encounter. It's a cool scene. Once again, pl- uh, the same way that a lot of tension in the, mo- in this, uh, in this film is played out, right. Where scenes are seemingly, seemingly extended through, you know, very slow, slow occurring action sequences, right? So it is the interrogation, um, getting him ready for torture, uh, then a pause before the torture happens, uh, and then it continues on. Well, because it, look, it looks like he's going to leave the door, but then he leaves the door just open enough yeah. so that he can sit and watch the oh, festivities. It's, 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 it's very creepy. creepy. Yeah, it's really freaky. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, Lawrence, uh, Lawrence, Lawrence gets- Lawrence uh, gets caned. Yeah, gets tortured, absolutely. <laughs> And um, you know, Sharif Ali waits for him to pick him up after yeah. this is done. After they throw him into the mud when they're done when they're done with him, and um, takes him back. And it's obviously this like is profound. This has profoundly affected Lawrence to uh, as torture does to yeah. an individual. Yeah, you know, because Lawrence is like, well, I would have told them anything, and you know, I'm Sharif's just like, well, you know, anybody would have, but like this hasn't changed you. But Lawrence think- Lawrence thinks it has changed him. 
Well, and once again, he uh, not thinking himself as anybody, right? He yeah. gets pulled well, in the, in the same way that he gets scared by what his, possi- his the, the the grandeur of his possibility. You know, suddenly he's brought back to the other way to find out that he is in you yeah. know, more, he's like more now, human than human. Yeah, you know? and like, now he's he's not as convinced about you know him mm-hmm. being part of this Arab uprising, and he essentially wants to go back to Jerusalem and get a desk job. Yeah. Well, if consider for a moment. Over the past two hours now, what is the worst thing that's happened to Lawrence? Aside from this implied prison rape yeah, that da- just occurred da- to him. Dawood dying in the, in the trauma, trauma. They're of all emotional things. Yeah. This is the actual worst thing that's happened to him. Well, this is the most physical harm he's come under. He's exerted physical harm on other people, but nobody has or been- Or put a- himself through physical yeah. pain. Yeah. I mean, even Dawood and Faraj dying- those were both in some implicit way, or at least he seemed to take it, uh, at his hands. Yeah. He was not a prisoner in well, either Farasha of those scenarios. Well, was actually at his hands. Yeah, mm-hmm. like he chose to mercy kill him. And he, he made that decision rather quickly. It's not like something he dwelled on. Yeah, whereas the Turkish commandant had absolute control of that situation in a way that Lawrence never never had exercised on him up to this point, at least not in a way he couldn't control mm-hmm. or back away from. He doesn't, he doesn't ever have, um, he doesn't ever not have an out mm-hmm. um, until this moment. And that, um, that apparently was too much for him because um, he is, after all, just a British well-educated man who happened to get in over his head. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't occur to him until now, it seems like, because <laughs> because even in the moments where he was being dour, he was being indignant. Mm-hmm. When Dawood dies in the quicksand, he is despairing, but that despair is of a very specific noble kind. And he, he exhibits it the entire time he's at the base. He's the way that he's talking to everyone is this, it's a contempt. Mm -hmm. Whereas when he goes back to Sharif in the cave after this sequence, um, you know, he's, he's not eating the Lawrence who came back from the attack on Aqaba, even though he was dirty and had lost several friends and gone through it, he would eat, he would ask for a lemonade and drink lemonade. Like he'll be willing to do that. This Lawrence is different in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, which makes it a little awkward when in the uh, in the scene that comes up here. I had mentioned that Sharif was asked by the Chicago journalist whether or not Lawrence has changed, mm-hmm. and he said no. That actually happens in a couple scenes from here. I, yeah, I mentioned yeah. it. I mentioned it way too early. Well, it's weird because we have basically like the 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 same thing. It's like Lawrence is coming back from battle to the home base. There's like a couple of these like realigning mm-hmm. sequences. I don't know about this, guys. I know. Well, actually, oh, and there's one more. Um, before Lawrence gets back to Jerusalem after the torture, that we we go back to a scene with uh, Alan B and uh, his his other commander. Brighton. Yeah, Brighton. And there's a great little sequence where, the, you know, they're just kind of like, yes, whoa, this is what's going on, whatever. And they're like, mm. do you think he's gone native, Harry? No. He would if he could. I think. Not my line of country, this, sir. Well, it doesn't matter. I'm just curious. What matters is I believed it. The Turks believe it. They're offering 20,000 pounds for him. Alan be like, 
ponders for a second. He's like, I wonder if they'd offer that much for me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's, he's like upset because like, you know, the fact that he doesn't do any more than he needs to has made him not as important. Yeah. And he, he's a little disappointed by, by all of Lawrence's, you know, he's not a hero. Yeah. Yeah, really. He's not so. a hero. And neither is Lawrence as we'll find out. But, <laughs> but the, um, but Lawrence, Lawrence does come back. Uh, tail between his legs, insisting on getting a normal, real job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a normal person. He's going to love Britain. He's going to, you know, and and at this, he can po- do it. He can do it. He's going to admire the new squash court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they come. <laughs> as soon as he, so- gets, he comes in, he's like his. He's bleeding through this uniform. He's just come out of being tortured. And the most exciting thing anyone has to say to him when he gets back to you know the home base palace is like, oh, we put a new squash court in the back. <laughs> yeah, really. Jolly good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and Lawrence wants to be happy about that. Uh, but he tries. For- he's like, oh, that's that's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> does ham it up a bit, doesn't he? But the uh, he, he makes it in, and uh, Faisal is just getting done um, in not negotiations. It sounds like more or less Faisal being told off by Mr. Dryden and Allenby. Um, Lawrence finds out in the middle of all of this self-pity, which is what it is. Yeah. I mean, this is the— Well, his ego has been crushed. Yeah, I mean, this, this is the thing, is in this moment, he is— he is upset for a completely inside, internalized reason. It has nothing to do with the world around him at this mm-hmm. point. No, this is a what was me. He's alone. Yeah. And he that position is taken from him implicitly as Faisal is leaving when he discovers that the French and the English have signed an agreement of and, sorts. And, and, you know, and these aren't, these aren't French or English people on the ground here. These are a couple of civil servants who are just looking at a map Mm -hmm. and dividing up what they want out of the end of this. And Lawrence suddenly remembers why he was there, (laughs) which he, he basically had forgotten for the last, uh, Jesus complex of the last 30, 40 minutes. I don't, maybe it was that long, Mm -hmm. 30, 40 minutes, probably about right. Um, and he almost immediately, as fast as he went out last time, he just, it turns, he just turns and, um, with 25,000, well, the, yeah, the because they're like, well, wait a minute, we're supposed, to, we're supposed to be going back to Damascus. Oh, I'm not going to Damascus. Oh, well, then we're just going to divide this shit up against the French and the British. And he's like, I'm fucking going to Damascus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. like he puts, <laughs> he puts on a show of making it see, he, he tells Allenby he's a clever man, and Allenby rebuffs him, which which was just courtesy. But Allenby is, Allenby is not a clever man, it's just that Lawrence is a very temperamental man. So that doesn't work against Allenby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah really. Yeah. Allenby, patience beats out fire. And this act, it, I'll save that for a couple of minutes. It's coming up anyway. So he gets the band back together. He does. Okay. He does. Motivated by money first, the money up front this time, mm-hmm. uh, 25,000 mm-hmm. ducats or whatever. Yeah, because even Sharif is not impressed with the wily gang he rolls up into the canyon with. He's <laughs> yeah. like, these people are murderers. He's like, well, we're all murderers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lawrence, Lawrence has fully assumed his role as a <laughs> bloodthirsty dictator liberator of the yeah. Arab people. <laughs> well, but he's he's been... He's been by coming up against the 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 harshness, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, like you said, the 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 things that had happened, well, the things that had happened to him up to this point. I mean, the stakes become more and more realized to him, right? This becomes less like a journey I take myself, 
than a journey I am on with the people I'm with, right? And uh, because the first part of the film, it's individual heroic efforts that, you know, produce the the that that demonstrate his greatness to people, right? Going back for Kasim and facing the 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 anvil by himself to rescue the person that everyone had left for dead, and um, going across Sinai by himself to mm-hmm. go to, to put these things forward with. Um, it's, uh, we got to remember the one thing that did happen to him before the torture sequences. He does get shot by uh, at one of the train sequences yeah. as well. But that's you know it's 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 just a flesh wound, you know, just a glancing <laughs> shot seemingly. But the to be enmeshed into what happened uh it should mention too which is why he why he shoots farage right the young the young boy the second of the young boys yeah. who um who gets um wounded but not, uh, uh but not mortally uh the reason lawrence has to shoot him is because the the turks do uh, uh yeah, treat the... prisoners incredibly terribly right yeah. it is preferable to die rather than to be taken prisoner in this in this position and when lawrence experiences that for himself right then then the the do what is necessary approach gets adopted, and the hiring of these murderers or thieves were, uh, and more importantly, the outrage that Ali Sheriff Sharif yeah. Ali, right, his most loyal uh, follower, uh, reacts to that, right? Like he is incensed by this, by this, right? Like it's one thing to make friends or common cause with the other tribes that you share ancient hostilities, blood feuds, and and with as well. But now you're just getting basically digging felons. Yeah, you're, you're hiring point. mercenaries, yeah. right? Like <laughs> actually just hiring yeah. mercenaries rather than, you know, convincing people to work with you. And, you know, Lawrence uh, essentially shrugs them off, right? Like this is this is necessary. This is this is what needs to happen. Yeah, he doesn't see yeah, there's at no point during that exchange does Lawrence like express a lot of concern over the backgrounds of these mercenaries that he's hide, hired. No. And this is, this is the moment. But, but when... at this point, at this point, Lawrence is also a mercenary because Alan B told him they'll give him all the money in the world to go finish this, this up. And he's like, well, I don't need all of it, but still, I mean, Lawrence is essentially a mercenary at this point. Well, yeah. but, but, you know, a mercenary knows the motivation for what they're doing, right? Like, and, you know, so there's, um, you know, there's just a, yeah, the, the well, reason. Lawrence is doing this for money at this point. Well, I, th- I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. I think, I think the money is just a, the, 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 the means to his actual motivation, which is to accomplish something great, right? Like, you know, the money itself, I don't think is like to make me rich. The money is to make me Lawrence of Arabia or the, the means to get me to that point. And, you know, I mean, is is he a, is he a mercenary, if you will, to his own ambition, right? I mean, that's I mean, once again, like you know, like the at least at least someone is at least mercenaries are aware of the fact they're doing yeah. this for cash, right? And I don't I don't necessarily, I mean, it's part of the complexity that we get into in the second half of the film as politics becomes more endemic to the storytelling, and we've te- teased before about how the first part of the film, which appears bright and ambitious. And uh, and uh, uh, contrasted with the second part of the film, uh, which is darker, oh, yeah. uh, is you know of course the film where politics becomes the main uh, uh, the story main driver, element. yeah, the main driver yeah. of the story through the second half of the film. Well, and I mean Lawrence's conflicts with his own mm-hmm. mission have become more and more complicated because yes. as when you're sitting at Yunbo or whatever the intermediate town. You're sitting in a tent with Prince Faisal mm-hmm. and Sharif Ali and Colonel Brighton, and you don't have to deal with any of these other people. Mm-hmm. When you're just sitting there in a tent with this one tribe, it's very easy to be idealistic about mm-hmm. one Arab nation because you're only looking at one Arab tribe, tribe at that yeah. exact moment. He's now having to negotiate the realities of this slowly but surely, and mm-hmm. those are and 
once again, it got mixed up with the incident in Dara. Mm -hmm. And um, if he's not behaving entirely rationally at this point, that's fair. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, the purity of his mission has been thoroughly compromised. Well, and, and we get it, too, when um, – so they're on the road to Damascus, yeah. right? And yeah. um, they're in this huh. – they're, they're in the yeah, they're in this campaign um, where you know Lawrence and the um, the Arabic army are um, you know running parallel uh, lines to the British yeah, with yeah. The, to the Brit to the British army. Uh, there's a, um, a a massive artillery siege going on with one of the cities or one of the towns mm. that the that Lawrence and his Arab army see at night, and you know it's um, it is impressive, right? They are they are uh, fearful of what is happening to that. Um, what then happens is that there is this like part of the Turkish army that is in retreat or at least, you know, maneuvering away after being defeated. Uh, and they come across this uh, Arab town. Uh, they slaughter, right? They, they, yeah. they slaughter men, women, and children town. in the town. Yeah. And they are moving away from and the town. And some of the people in Lawrence's army were from that particular little yeah. tribe. And um, it's um, one guy. It's like one guy. Well, right? yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, like this is his village that these yeah. that these soldiers who are retreating, right? They're yeah. they within sight of Lawrence's army who arrives after the massacre and, you know, rather of course, sacrificing and heroically this lone person with sword charges, uh, this column of uh, Turkish soldiers and gets mowed down. And there is a choice to make, right? Like what is Lawrence to do? Yeah, right? Sharif wants him to go around. Damascus, like, this isn't says, our Damascus, fight. Yeah. Damascus, he says, that's and, what we're here for. And Lawrence cannot, cannot see beyond the anger and frustration. Right. And he feels the pain uh, of that more, uh, more intensely. And he uh, uh, orders his uh, detachment um, to attack the Turks, yeah. the retreating Turkish army. Uh, and he says and he, uh, the order is simply no prisoners. No prisoners! No prisoners! Fucking charge. And the, yeah, the fucking <laughs> slaughter this group of retreating soldiers. And um, the aftermath of this is fucking confusing, right? We, yeah. The camera pans and is looking around. And then uh, uh, Ali comes in and they're looking around. Uh, and we find uh, we find uh, Lawrence um, for the first time uh, bloodied, uh, actually with actually in a battle. Yeah, I right? mean he is just standing in the middle of this thing shooting, and then he's redoing, and then he's like reloading uh, his uh, gun, and then oh, and one of the best scenes is that he is he is smoky, dirty, yeah. bloody, and what does he do? He takes out. Uh, the knife, yeah, the very knife when it was pristine that he had looked at himself in, admired the his accomplishments in in the first part of the film. Now um, bedraggled and beaten and bloodied, pulls out this bloody knife, props himself against a cart, and looks at himself in the reflection of the bloodied knife. Great, beautiful, wonderful contrast uh, in the film as well. But seeing what where, where this journey has taken him, seeing what he has become within this, and continues on with it. Um, I will, and I'll go ahead and mention this now because we're getting into the last part of the film. Um, I want to introduce the relationship between Ali and Lawrence, um, because, uh, uh Sheriff, Sharif Ali, uh, played by, um, uh, Omar, Omar Sharif, Omar Sharif. Yes. um, uh, Ali and Lawrence, uh, are the core relationship between Lawrence and the Arabic culture yeah. that he is, uh, and the Arabic people that he is engaged with. Um, I wanted to introduce this relationship right now and maybe, um, because he, they, their, their seminal conflict with each other will come into Damascus. So, um, mm -hmm. uh, so are we heading back into Damascus still? Cause. Well, that's after the slaughter. That's where yep. we end up. I yeah. Mean, we end up in you Damascus. Know, like, cause the, the British get there first because they were supposed to just go around and meet them, but then they decided to take some 
time uh, out. No, the, Brit- the-, uh, the British get there to big fanfare, but oh, Lawrence is already there, I thought. Was yeah, you already got oh, there. Okay. Oh, yeah, Lawrence they were there. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. he's the best. You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. He's, he's not second fiddle in the Damascus party. Yeah, they didn't know when it was going to happen. All they know, all, all the British know is that Faisal's not going to get there for two days. Yeah. Which is... <laughs> Dryden is confident is enough time. Enough time for something to happen. And it turns yeah. out Alan B is not going to do anything. Like what's going to happen? I'm not going to happen. Right? Yeah, he basically tells everyone, hey, stay in the palace. Mm-hmm. Nobody's doing nothing. Hold. Yeah. <laughs> so, but <laughs> but what's funny, so what has happened, um, so Lawrence has shown up, right? And they have essentially, he has taken all the leaders of the tribe that he has been leading to Damascus, right? He essentially holds this big council or conference with Yeah, all of in them. the town hall. Yeah, in the town hall. And Damascus, we are led to believe, is this massive, sprawling metropolis, right? It is the yeah. it is the MacGuffin of all MacGuffins in their journey, but it is meant to be But this the, is the most the, this the ultimate is, prize. Yeah, like this is this is gonna like civilize and unite yes. the Arabs. Like oh, you guys are now gonna have like a modern culture to resonate out of. And uh Lawrence learns real quick that uh there is a reason all these tribes have been just warring and doing their own separate things mm-hmm. for many, many millennia Absolutely. out in the desert. It's not like this is where he learned that. But this is but where the, it, sh- it, like... But the problem is that <laughs> this this is still his grand vision. So mm-hmm. he does nothing, I, he has nothing to work with. And, you know, we're talking about the council scene. Um, Ali to one side, Aouda to the other. Yeah. And then there are rabbles to There's the like one side. There's like 800 other screaming and, people in this mm-hmm. building. Yeah. And my favorite, my favorite thing in this scene is a great bit of prop work mm-hmm. where Lawrence is, of course, sitting in the preeminent chair on behalf mm-hmm. of Prince slash King Faisal. And he brings court to order with a pistol. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Slamming the butt of the pistol yeah. on the table. Against the table. <laughs> and to use one of my... All-time favorite quotes from uh, Charles Maurice Talleyrand de Perigord, which is an amazing name as well. Um, the only thing you can't do with a bayonet is sit on it. <laughs> <laughs> so Lawrence is finally, its again, it's not that he wasn't aware of this. Mm-hmm. He's aware of all these things. Yeah. But he wants to believe otherwise. Well, yeah, he about wants himself. to believe that he can overcome this, mm-hmm. yeah. He, he wants to believe about himself, about, them. about the Arabs, about, even about the British. Yeah. He is an idealist. Mm-hmm. And actually, Ryan, to bring it back to, you wanted to talk about the, the relationship between Ali and um, Lawrence. Most of that relationship has to do with the difference between realism and idealism mm-hmm. um, from the very first encounter they have. Yes. Um, when <laughs> Lawrence is talking in circles around the only man who might be able to save him mm-hmm. now that he is stranded in a desert he's never been in before. Right. And Lawrence sticks to his guns and Ali does not. And mm-hmm. Ali leaves. They meet back up. Ali tries to convince Lawrence he's crazy again. Mm-hmm. Follows him anyway. Yep. This, this is the other interesting thing about Ali is that Ali is always under the spell yep. of Lawrence. Mm-hmm. He always believes in Lawrence. He uh, he he wants to be convinced that he that that this is possible, yeah. right? Yep. And that is what is so fucking genius about the the dialogue between them. The uh, Ali in that initial scene, right? Um, like you said, uh, Ali kills his guide, right? Tafis. Mm-hmm. Yes, and um, they work on these definitions between each other. Tafis, he says, like, well, Tafis is is not um he is something else he's not allowed this well this is my well mm-hmm. uh and he says 
uh, you know, well, I drink from your well. And he's like, well, you are welcome, right? Mm -hmm. Like he was, he was, he was this, he was predetermined, predefined by my standards. You are now a guest, right? A definition of who you are according to our relationship. Um, This gets turned around later when Ali offers to take him to Faisal and, you know, Lauren says, fuck you, I'll find my own way with my compass. And he said, um, well, what if I just take your compass? And uh, they throw the definition back at him. Well, he said, well, that would make you a thief. Yeah. And so (laughs) the way in which they are defining each other uh, through their actions, right, becomes why when Ali and Lawrence are in that pivotal moment of trying to decide whether to attack this retreating Turkish column that just massacred this, Right. Ali says Damascus. Yeah. And Lawrence says, you know, no fucking prisoners, you know, (laughs) but this this distinction between them, which is that, you know, he, of course, wants to be convinced uh, that uh, um, Ali wants to be convinced that more is possible from the Arabic people. And Lawrence is there to convince him. But what the beauty of their relationship is that by the end, it could be argued that Lawrence becomes more Arabic while Ali becomes more uh, uh, more uh, more of the idealized Arabic vision of Lawrence, right? They're, they mm-hmm. they they distinct from each other, and they, in a weird way, they're very far apart. And as they move uh, as they move closer to each other, they cross. yeah, they cross over, and Ali heads more towards where Lawrence was, and Lawrence has head more towards the 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 blood feud, angered, uncivilized, quote unquote. And I'm yeah. not calling you know Arabic culture sure. uncivilized, but what how it how the dichotomy is represented in the in the story, in the film, and the themes as well. Um, I just think it's a beautiful little fucking touch uh, between that. Just to be clear, when I say idealism versus realism here, um, Ali is not, for all intents and purposes, a, he's not a pragmatist per se. Mm-hmm. It's not that he just, uh, Auda is the pragmatist. Yeah. When I'm, when I'm using the word realist here, I'm being, I'll draw back the words. It's vision versus ideals. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think Ali is ever really non idealistic it's just that lawrence in i mean lawrence actually sort of flaunts idealism as you were talking about by the time he gets to now i'm talking myself in circles and i apologize for that this makes for terrible radio but there is (laughs) it is it, it is just that there is ali doesn't really have a vision of what the world is supposed to look like he he wants to uphold not necessarily the exact world that he has. He could be convinced of the existence of an Arab nation, but someone has to show him that vision. Yeah. He doesn't have it himself. Yeah, ambition yeah. ambition without vision, right? Like that yeah. is what he has. And when he has found someone that can provide that guide for that, um, he he becomes entranced by it. And I think that that is so. The the other component to their relationship is the. Um, and I've seen this proposed as well, is the potential homosexuality of the film. And uh, this is, I think... There's a lot of that laced okay. all through here. I disagree. I just go with potent. Yeah. I, yeah. Dis- <laughs> I disagree. It's only because there's absolutely no females in this movie. That's, I think, yeah, that's that's, that's, that's part of it, yeah. I, well, I that disagree. And, and Lawrence but... as a character was very uh, sexually ambiguous. Like, he may have been asexual it's not it nothing's determined so there's like a lot that you could read into it if you so choose look i don't mean to to you know hold up for the hold hold up for the for the potential heterosexuality of the dandy all right but like you know come <laughs> on though it's just just because a guy enjoys fine clothing and uh Hermes ties. Does skip from time to time uh, look we all have a sprightly <laughs> a sprightly nature to our step from time to time doesn't mean you know anyway so <laughs> there's um there's a wonderful kind of quality to uh, to their relationship um, 
that once again, uh, you know, that, 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 that male friendship or male, um, camaraderie. Uh, com- yeah, man. Like there's, it, it, it inevitably wants to get sexualized because that is, um, you know, our culture is very prurient, right? Well, like, would you just say they had a bromance? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. I think that's a great way to kind yeah. of, uh, and I hate that term, but that's a great way to put it, right? Yeah. It is the, the nature at which, because look, I mean, I, again, a Goodfellas is an entire yes. movie about how much crime you have to do to hang out with your guy friends yeah, exactly. after you get out of school. <laughs> like the the, I love all of you guys, right? But like, I have not met someone, and you know, it's it's rare that anyone would meet someone who was truly great, like yeah. that has the great like. Lawrence of Arabia, like, I mean, I'm not being this named. Man has vision. Yeah, goddamn, no one's going to name me after a geographical distinct, you know, <laughs> distinction here. Like, I'm not getting, you know, but like, to meet with Ryan someone, of Valencia. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, to meet someone who who is great, right? Who 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 inspires something that you believed was impossible, right? That can make the impossible real. Um, there is. You have so much of what looks like love, right? Uh, well, there's awe, awe, enchantment, fucking um, um, uh, uh, rever- uh, reverie. We like, even got that Ubermensch thing. You know, you follow great people. Yes, and you you emotionally invest from this as well, right? And this is what is so striking, and why people would assume it would be uh, homosexuality, because most people who find themselves desirous of an emotional attached to someone else is usually only because they want to fuck them. Right. Like, mm-hmm. but if you, if you felt that close to someone because of what they could make you become, like become a better version of yourself. I mean, this is why religion is so fucking popular, right? This is why the charisma of religious leaders is not fucking sexual sexualized at all. Although in its most pernicious forms becomes sexualized. And those are, there's a fine line between that. Um, and this movie does, in, you know, seemingly mix that inwards as well, because in the end, I do agree that Lawrence's sexuality is fucking um, little, is ambiguous. Yeah. Um, the trauma of the torture is uh, seemingly um, made more severe because it is implied that it is also a sexualized torture as well, and that uh, I feel like it is coded that way. Yeah, I think so. And it, but it is not implicit or explicit. In, yeah. Excuse me. It's not explicit in the storytelling through that as well. But it, the way that it is framed, everything yeah. about that scene mm-hmm. reads like a euphemism. I meant, I meant, ex, I meant the, the explicitness with, with which I'm talking about is Lawrence's sexuality. Yeah. Um, and specifically his relationship with Ali, which I think the two are distinct from that. I think. Oh, Ali's, no, no, no. I don't, I, I wouldn't make that accusation. I mean, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even call. I wouldn't even call the uh, the Turkish um, implied rape scene to be homosexual. That's mm-hmm. again, I I use the term prison rape. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Rape yeah, it's is, about power. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. not about yeah. like, a, like, a, like yeah. exactly. There's no there's no there's no intimate. Uh, no, there's no yeah, intimate it's no feeling. intimacy. Yes, it's, exactly. Yeah, it's it's a power play. And yet, this is why people would confuse Ali and Lawrence's because they have an intimate relationship with each other. I mean, these like you know, um, no, that's pretty gay. Yeah, <laughs> and it is, uh, but it is so. So well done. And um, so the, the best thing that demonstrates this, right, is that um, in the end, um, we'll just talk about the, the council fails in its mission, right? The last, the, the ending sequences of the council is Lawrence um, because enti- completely exhausted. Yeah, well, because Lawrence wants the Arabs to, to run this mm-hmm. and then they just show absolutely no ability 
ability Mm -hmm. to run a bureaucracy. Like they can't keep the lights on. They Mm -hmm. can't keep the well pumped. They don't have the engineers to manage these kind of facilities. Yes. They don't know what to do when there's a fire. Well, the, the problem you run into in this case is once again, it's Lawrence's idealism to bring back Ali talking about how Lawrence hasn't really ever changed. What Lawrence actually knows is not, is not Arabia, it's England. And yeah. Damascus is a modern industrialized city. And that is when, when he talks about an Arab nation, nation is an industrial concept. It and is to, something that requires industrial expertise. And the problem is these people do not have the expertise to keep these things running. I None mean, of them we, grew up no, in that environment. Yeah, we started by people on camels waving swords at airplanes like there's a learning curve he is trying to take that exact group of people into the industrial age and they're just not equipped for it it's it it turns out there there is some institutional knowledge that comes along with it and the problem is that lawrence wants the one and not the other he wants he doesn't want the cold inertial bureaucracy of britain but he does want the camaraderie. Yeah. Um, and the problem is that when you have that many people thrust into one room at the same time, you do need both or it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So the and the way that Lawrence explicitly protests this is a call to have British engineers come in and fix the power system because no one in that room is capable has ever seen one before. Yeah. They're like, there are three machines. We don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but we're. But the problem, but because they're trying to hit the ground running, like it's not impossible that mm-hmm. an Arab coalition of some kind could be brought together under the means and culture of Arabia. But Damascus is not that. Mm-hmm. Damascus is not their city. They have absorbed Damascus. Mm-hmm. And again, it goes back to that bayonet quote. So, <laughs> the fact that they can assume and annex this doesn't mean they can maintain it. Yeah. No. No, and it's, but it's, it's so much of what, right? So the, the, at the, at the, which as, goes both ways, by the way. Yeah. Iraq, as, Iran. Yeah. <laughs> Iraq, Afghanistan, oh, yeah, this Syria. Is, this is, yeah. yeah, this has this, gone on for some time. Yeah. We, uh, culturally, we have the same Lawrence of Arabian humor, hubris about our, about our culture as well. Yeah. Right? This, this yeah. is not an entirely technological problem. It turns out you can't just invade and then settle. It doesn't work. Yeah, like, like people don't just get along all yeah, of a the, sudden. This is this is not a jab against Arabs. This is a <laughs> universal problem. And what uh, when the council has inevitably failed, right? We we are, we're, uh, it's it's nighttime. Lawrence is exhausted. Uh, the council room is basically empty, and there's just you know Ali and and um, Auda there mm-hmm. uh, with him. Auda is like fucking. I'm out of here. You know, like you yeah. know, like, this is this is fucked up. We're going back. Um, you know, to going back to my spot. Yeah, I'm going. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it was a great ride. Yeah. But, uh, time to go, Ali. I mean, it's worth mentioning. My life was pretty fucking good for Auda. Yeah. yeah. Before, before Lawrence. Yeah, he was, he was just getting paid off by the Turks to not do anything, and he was making okay living doing it. Well, yeah. no, and it, there is a there is a moment where they're like looking at each other and looking at Lawrence, which is that you know, like, well, like, why did we come this far? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, I mean, you, you know, to to have come this far and to not have accomplished. To not have done what what we what the vision we have not realized the vil, the vision, um, and yet they had done more than any of them thought possible. I mean, Faisal did not get the Arabs to 
Damascus, mm-hmm. right? Like Lawrence got them to Damascus. Faisal comes afterwards, and then well, I think we'll end. Yeah, talk we're, about the ending we're almost to Faisal showing so up and wrapping. I'm this almost thing done with, up. I'm almost I'm almost done with the Ali thing here, right? And and so Ali leaves Lawrence in the in the chamber as Lawrence's fut- the futility of his mm-hmm. mission continues. And Lawrence and Auda have this scene. Uh, excuse me, uh, Ali and Auda have this scene where Ali has now come to realize that the vision is collapsing in front of him, and Auda says, you know, like, like, what did you expect to happen? You know, like this is, this is all, this is all folly, you know, uh, but we, 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 it was a great ride kid. And Ali can't accept Idealism, that. pragmatism. Yeah. Yeah. Ali can't accept that. You know, he, he begins to break down and begins to cry. And, you know, um, you know, I would accept, you love him, you love him. And, you know, and it's, it's subtle because it, to have lost or to to realize that you know like 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 you know sand through your fingers the what you what you can't grasp but you cannot make permanent um is so crushing to ali in that moment um because it is uh it is uh it is a failure on so much right it is a personal failure it's a, it's a communal failure it's 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 the failure of that of that it is written um philosophy that they uh, initially espoused as to accept what it seems inevitable um, and yet the, uh, they, they, uh, brushed up against, uh, what was impossible. And that is just so fucking well done. And I love, I love Ali's character in this, right? I fucking really enjoy that a lot. And the final nail in this fucking, you know, this, this coffin of sand that they have fucking brought into Damascus is finally there. And we get this, you know, essentially horse trading, you know, politicking happening between Dryden, um, um, and a- Allenby and Faisal. Yeah, uh, Faisal in, in, finally in shows final, up in, in two Damascus. days after after all this chaos. Essentially dealing with the with the problems that have happened yeah. in Damascus since the council had taken since the Arab Council led by Lawrence had taken over. Uh, and what essentially happens is um, uh, they essentially agree uh, that the Arabs can't run things, uh, and nonetheless the British will come in and uh, establish control over certain sectors. Uh, but like I think it's the water plant. I think is what it is. Yeah, they yeah. Okay. yeah they, they're going to keep the Arab flag, but they still need the British engineers to run it. Yep, and that's essentially what they've decided is that we will have a British water pumping facility with an Arab flag yeah. over it. Um, but once again, the coming back to water, uh, water is life, right? The mm-hmm. control of the well uh, becomes the the symbol. Yeah, because that's a big by. thing for Faisal. Like they, he needs he needs the symbol. He'll give up the electricity. That they have that. Yeah. He'll give up the he'll give up the buses. He'll give yeah. up the police. But the fucking water's mine. Yeah. The water will the water will appear under my control. And the wells are the technology they understand. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And but it's once again just a little subtle fucking bit of yeah. genius there to show. And Alan B's like little, he's like, oh, all this work and all we've got is a British controlled Arab water well. Yep. He's like, Ugh. and in the end, like everybody's kind of smiling, you know, like they're like, oh, you know, eh, right, yeah, I kind of deal with it. I guess that's where we're at. So <laughs> Lawrence, you got Colonel. <laughs> but what but what's but what sends Lawrence kind of like shuffling off stage right in the scene is essentially um it is kind of revealed as the themes of who Lawrence is, why did he do it, who's he working for, is he doing it for himself or who's who whose agent is he? Um in what we get revealed from this is that essentially Faisal kind of excuses Lawrence out of the room and says that uh, there's nothing further here for a warrior. We drive bargains. Old men's work. Young men make wars, and the virtues of war are the virtues of young men. Courage and hope for the future. Then old men make the peace. (laughs) And the vices of peace are the vices of old men. Mistrust and caution. It must be so. 
Yeah. And essentially, we see that Faisal, from the fucking beginning, knew oh, who yeah. Lawrence was. Yeah. And fucking rode him to Damascus, uh, only to then supersede and take over where what mm-hmm. Lawrence had accomplished mm-hmm. for him. And the, that little betrayal, right? The final little betrayal even seems to surprise uh, the British uh, leaders, uh, Allenby and Dryden. Even they're surprised by Faisal's callousness of what of of his uh, seeming betrayal of Lawrence as well. And oh, and it it clashes with Brighton. Yeah, Brighton, the Ali of the British. Yes, yes. Okay, yeah. very good. Who, yeah, thank you. Who is who in a scene? I I wanted to bring this up at the time, and I I missed it in the moment when Brighton catches up to the irregulars on their way up to Damascus. Right, Brighton is wearing Arab headgear. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Brighton, who was originally Lawrence's, he was his first opponent. Company yeah. man. Yeah, he's a company yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah. But he's, comf- but he is an idealist. Mm-hmm. He is in this specific, ca- like there's, there's a beautiful Venn diagram one could draw of the characters in this film. You could do a many dimensional Venn diagram mm-hmm. and Brighton and Ali are in one and you have Allenby and what's his name? Allenby and Faisal. Faisal. And you've got you know, like. And Dryden would be in that one. Dryden. Dryden's in the center. He is the. <laughs> he is the. He is the. Lifts, on which the spokes yeah, Dry, turn. Dryden lifts the least fingers. He's clawed but, fucking reins. I know. Look him up. <laughs> <laughs> but there's. I like Brighton's character a lot because he's supposed in in every film where a Brighton character shows up, he is basically just like window dressing, like he's yeah. he's a prop somewhere. Mm-hmm. And the version of the prop that he would normally be actually does show up in this film in a very well framed shot when Lawrence gets his initial accolades right before the intermission. Um, Alan B calls in Perkins, mm-hmm. some. Named, but nonetheless entirely faceless, like army man. Yeah, you only see his boots. Yeah, <laughs> and his trousers, and from the waist up, it's completely cut off. You just see you see Lawrence sitting in a chair, mm-hmm. looking dejected, and Perkins says like, "Bloody brilliant" or yeah. something, yeah. and then leaves. Which is, well, and then the the hyper stylized heel clicking manner yeah. of, yeah. of of British yeah. officer step. It's really great. heard about this, Mr. Perkins? Yes, sir. What do you think about it? Bloody marvellous, sir. Well done, sir. Thank you, Mr. Perkins. Sir! <laughs> like, it's just this, this amazing, like, you know, we were talking about how, like, the scenery, the land, the desert being a character. This is a character being landscape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I really like that. I, I very much admire that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that, and then he gets driven home. Yeah. And, he gets uh, promoted to Colonel and gets to go home. Yeah. And this is an interesting thing because this movie, even though no well, one would is... ever dare do it, uh, this movie is designed to be watched um, back to back because the first scene only works having seen the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And if you do see it, in that fashion, the first scene is very funny. Yes. <laughs> because every character that you didn't know that they were just like walking up to mm-hmm. is someone you've met in, yeah. in the yeah. course the of course, this. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm glad that it's I'm glad that it's put that way. Because if they had just deliberately put the front thing in the back, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have been quite as good. Um it would have been a little too on the nose. But yeah. so um 
so this is so we're in these like really weird positions now where we're talking about like a film that is you know done in the major studio system yeah and yet is a film that i think is um is a is a great great movie um i really admire and like this film it is in it's probably my top 20 films uh, of all time it's on most top 20 lists but, well for, for i mean but like that is like the, the classic film critic consensus yeah, yeah. kind of thing uh, but this film is really highly uh really really highly up there for me um because uh, especially of its cinematic qualities right like uh, you know so when my, my my top 20 films are not like my you know personally regarded uh films that represent what i believe to be really important and you know have messages that i believe in and shit like that There's no, no. the movies that you like the yeah best. I'm, you know my, my cinematic love is is an is an aesthetic love primarily and this film just seamlessly and brilliantly ties so much into what makes movies fucking great to watch um and then the other best thing about this movie is that it's three hours and thirty six fucking minutes long. Like it is thirty seven. So yeah, so it is. I, I I don't mean to short that last yeah, minute. Trust yeah, me, yeah. that is not my intention. The whole movie didn't make sense when they cut that last minute <laughs> yeah, out. Uh, and um, this, but this too, when we we kind of getting back to the theme of long movies, man, when something has uh kind of captures you in in its worldview uh, and its aesthetics. Um, I don't want it to end, right? Like this is what is can be really fun and great about long movies is that man, when the, when when it's got you, um, it doesn't let you go. And I and I, I fucking love love this movie, and the length of it is part of the enjoyment that I d- get from it as well. Like I really, really fucking get into it, and it's a movie that um, taken on a grander scale as possible, right? To see it as big as possible is something that I think is worth uh, is worth attempting at least trying to see once in your life as well right this movie this movie is is well this was meant to be on about as large a screen as you can Mm -hmm. get away with um it was shot deliberately like absolutely and watched twice back to back yes no doubt yeah make a day of it it'll be worth it well i mean you're gonna have to take so much of a day out anyway you might as well just call the whole thing a wash yeah and And, but it is uh, there's just uh, there's just not a lot of movies quite like this. I mean, we talked about David Lean's other films that he's worked on as well, but I mean, this is this is fucking a masterpiece. I really do think so. What's interesting about this particular production, the way that it had to be put together, the part of the reason this movie is as long as it is is because they were going to have to make the trip out to the desert with a thousand extras. Why not shoot the rest of the film? Like at that point, yeah. the film is not the budget breaking element of shooting it. It is just you know, God, the production itself. There's so many horses in this movie. That scene where they like go after the train, with mm-hmm. the horses. I mean, there yeah. must've been like 80 horses jumping off a train simultaneously. Oh, it is God. ridiculous. And yet we can't seem to have it both ways anymore, which is interesting. I mean, we constantly gripe about movies that are more than 90 minutes long on this podcast because most movies don't deserve to be more than 90 minutes long. But the thing, the reason why Lawrence of Arabia is worth that is because they put in the money to make this thing and you get to just sit and bask in it. And where do we get to do that? Television. Mm-hmm. TV shows don't have Lawrence of Arabia budgets, and even if they do, they waste all that money on computer effects, which look like garbage. So the closest thing that we have to this, and I think it shows in its popularity, is Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. The reason why Game of Thrones is as popular as it is, is almost precisely the same appeal once you get over the Walking Dead factor of, you know, characters being subverted in totally formulaic ways— the other thing that it has is a very 
coherent aesthetic mm-hmm. that yeah. you can just sort of sit in, stew in. And I do enjoy that. I like that a lot as much as I fucking hate everyone on the show now. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the actual world of it is still enticing in that yeah. way. But it's one of the only shows with enough money behind it to yep. pull that off. Yeah. Um, so it's weird. We've ended up with a Goldilocks effect where TV shows need to have the budget of movies so that we can have the Lawrence of Arabia length yep. to them. Um, I would say too that there's a couple of there's a couple of TV shows that in there specifically because they are so seemingly mundane um, kind of capture a beautiful fucking aesthetic within that and of, um, of course I'm talking about the wire which yeah. and be- <laughs> it is the 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 rhythm of that show right the aesthetic of that show um, is just entirely like and we've joked before about it being the great the the greatest boring show of all time yeah um, but it is it is it is Almost fucking hypnotic. Those those first three seasons, yeah, in the particular first three seasons, are it gets fucking hypnotically good. And uh, but once again, it lacks the the grandiosity of, of Game of Thrones. Yeah, right? it lacks, well, it is about Baltimore. And, and, <laughs> and, and but in that in that urban squalor of, of the film, um, still stars British actors. Yeah, like. yeah, and yeah, indeed. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. That's that's how you get good Americans. Is your British people god play that? Now I know. Yeah. Yeah, but so when um, no, but that's true. Yeah, because the TV, even even if you get like your good long story arcs over the course of you know six to twelve episodes, yeah, you usually don't get as good aesthetics out of TV shows. No, and I mean I'll they I'll make hold them a, too fast. There's no that's fucking probably thought, too much. part of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean you can only you can only jam so much into it. I mean I'll I will extol Vince Gilligan for his cinematography, but even. Even a show that is as sort of like aesthetically coherent as um, Better Call Saul is still, it could be better. Mm-hmm. If he had two years between yeah. seasons, that show would be better. How many yeah. episodes per season on those? 11, 10 or so? It's somewhere around Yeah, there. so it's nine and a half to, to 10 hours of fucking. That's a lot of film to put God together damn, in a it's year. An, it's on. No, it's not. That doesn't. It's not a structure that produ- produces quality. But then the one other thing you guys brought up before we had. Uh started talking about this was the only other thing is you have like the uh the lord of the ring stuff where you do three movies all you know filmed right. together so that you have like the huge overarching thing but you guys said that on the rewatch that the cgi actually lets that movie that's that oh, series down that's that's a problem but i i think that's a nit Okay, and I mean, <laughs> popular consensus suggests yeah. that Lord of the Rings occupies very much the same territory as Lawrence of Arabia okay. for a lot of okay. people. Yeah, so I can buy that. I won't probably ever watch that series again because it, I don't. It doesn't feel like I'm not poignant the way that this one does. Yeah. And there's there's there are specific pacing problems that Lord of the Rings has that will keep me from ever watching it again. Well probably. just on a landscape thing too, like mm-hmm. I'm more of a desert loving English than like a <laughs> hobbit footed Middle Earther. <laughs> so like Lawrence just works for me aesthetically in a lot of ways. It's well it in general it's warmer. I mean that's the other that's one of the weird things about Lord of the Rings is that it's got a very cold general yeah. temperature to it. And so does Game of Thrones to be fair. Oh um, yeah, yeah. They're they're essentially the same thing to me. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah. We don't get to I mean but like Tol- I mean the Fellowship of the Ring series by Tolkien too is fucking like cold is colder, like The Hobbit and some of the other stuff he writes is much well, more see, that's, I like, But that's what I, I actually like. I yeah. like the arc of Lawrence, though, because it goes from, it goes from being very warm to, like, 
getting very dark by mm-hmm. the end. And I really like how it transitions through that, how it transitions from the young man's game to the old man's yep. vice. Like I, I love the overarching arc of, of, you know, like where it leaves you when you're done with mm-hmm. it. But the primary hue is red the whole time. Right? Yeah. Like that doesn't change. Yeah. And I like that. Absolutely. So, um, I would want to, when am I catching this in a couple of years, you know, maybe for another five, 10 years, checking out Lawrence again, hopefully to be in the theater another time again. So we can watch it in, <laughs> in the big screen, hopefully. Yeah. But, uh, are we, so we're on to, um, so we're going to, ke- we're going to keep this epicness going. I mean, this has Something been an epic podcast. Epic? Are we, are we going to do the thing that we keep alluding to? Yeah. Days of heaven, right? I wanted to do days of heaven. Cause okay. that's another, uh, where the, the landscape is probably the primary personality mm-hmm. of the entire film because unfortunately none of the people in the film have a personality, but that's just a problem of being a fucking poor worker in the 19th century. Yep. <laughs> I mean, the only other movie that's even coming to mind in that vein is seven samurai and I can wait. I would think mm-hmm. that or Mongol comes to mind. Have you guys seen that? Mm-hmm. The- I haven't. Okay. Yeah. It's uh Not meditative. The, that was fucking that well yeah. that's also because like like Khan in that movie is the personality of the land and it's so vast and it has one of my favorite Japanese actors in mm-hmm. it. So I'm excited. Uh, so this uh, Days of Heaven will be our first Terrence Malick feature that we've watched. Well, together. yeah, and I feel like it's important to at least yeah. get one of his four films. He only does one a decade, but they're usually <laughs> Oh epic. man. Well, talk about someone who's been, you know, like maybe not following that rule or so. He's he's done about four movies in the past ten years. Well, he's gotta like, make up for whew. like how slow his production was the first oh my God. like fifty years of his career. So he's been packing them in at the end here, but we're going early Malik. Uh this is the second film after Badlands. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So this will be good. You've not seen Terrence Malik film? Nope. Oh, baby. No. All right, this will be good. All right, I'm done. Okay. <laughs> more than enough. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole Ryan, thanks for being part of the Machination Thank Log. Thank you. Good morning, everyone.